Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. and the Sixth Doctor. And welcome to another episode of the Colton Collective. We may hear some more talking in a moment, so I'm going to be quiet for a second. Okay, boys. I know how this works. You can't move as long as I can see Unfortunately, we're on audio only, so I can't see you. So if you get turned into stone during the course of this podcast, Colton Collective will take no responsibility for that. But entertaining you, we take responsibility for. Hello, everyone. I'm Dave AC uh, in the chair today. Ian is enjoying himself immensely, no doubt, at Megacon. Uh, he was turned into a statue himself uh, yesterday uh, on meeting up with one of his idols, uh, Mr. John Barrowman. And uh, it was a toss-up whether he was going to turn into a statue or into a blubbering wreck, and I'm not quite sure which, but we may find out later because there is a possibility he may call in from the actual uh, conference uh, itself. So uh, if we do get Ian on the phone, uh, wherever we're up to, whoever's speaking, please accept my apologies uh, straight away and now. Uh, because we will uh, we will cut to uh, a con report, as Rick Wall reminded me, I should refer to it, and uh, uh, give him uh, his moment to talk about it, and hopefully he will be back. I don't think he's back next week, uh, next week actually, because he's um, he's, he's theatre work, dear, theatre work next week. That's a long preamble as usual. Uh, let me ramble on a little bit more and say um, we've got a, a crowded room here. Let me find out who's in audio and since he helped me out with that little piece of information let's go to rick wall who may be self-muted but i'll give him a moment to uh no to speak. i'm here hi rick wall good to have yeah, you here no. good to be here i nearly asked you what you're drinking but i think that's a different show <laughs> uh well i'm still american and i'm still ugly <laughs> 
Why am I laughing at that? Well, it's an in-joke, really. Uh, and speaking of other shows, I suppose we'd better introduce the host of that show. Maybe he even wants to give it a little bit of a promo. It's Mike Randall Thor. Why, hello there, Dave, and everyone else here on Coldum. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny there. You mentioned that Ian is at Megacon this weekend. Someone else who is a friend of my other podcast, Marble Operator, is also at uh, Megacon, Adam Rosner, the creator of Tribe 12, that YouTube series dealing with a certain tall, faceless man in a suit. Uh, He's there at Megacon, and uh, I asked Ian if he sees them, maybe you could get an autograph. (laughs) But yeah, he's a a friend of Marble Operator, and it's just kind of neat. Two people that that I know are, are at the convention, but the two of them have no reason to know each other. So that's amusing. Ah. Right, yeah. Well, um, in a moment, I'm just going to type something in text. But while I do so, let's welcome Jeff into the room. Jeff, the seventh doctor. Yes, since the sixth doctor couldn't be here today, I took his place. (laughs) Hello, Dave. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Okay, good to have you here. And it looks like uh, the next person I was going to go to does indeed have their audio back. So let's welcome Mr. Darth Skeptical into the room. Hi, Darth. Hello, good sir. How are you? Um, fine, indeed. A little bit under the cosh today. We had a power cut. Um, somebody uh, rather suspiciously said that it might be one of your locals that nipped over to the UK just to pull the plug on my house, but um, it got restored after about an hour. Um, power cuts. Is then... this the PM again? Huh? You're having power cuts. Is Wilson the PM again? Or was that Callahan? Oh. I always forget. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, yeah Callahan in the, in the Heath uh, minor strike years. Three Heath, days. yeah, that's who it is. It's Heath, Heath, it? was, yeah, Heath was the Prime Minister, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and we also have on audio, we have Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Dave. How are you doing today? I'm, oh, I'm hearing how you're doing. I mean, you're you're blind, deaf, but never dumb. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. You're 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 like you're like <laughs> Matt Murdock. You're like Daredevil. Even in the darkness, you see a bright light. Yeah, and you're, it, and you're it might not be, Yeah, it might not be true, but I do like it. Yeah. And, and Thank you, you very much indeed. Okay, I'll I'll take payment for that later. Don't let anybody know. <laughs> okay, let's find out who's under the cone of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And on the cone, the first person we have is a gent. Uh, That gent is called Logan. And I say gent because he's having a show of his own today, uh, later on, and that's called Divergent. So he must be a divergent. Uh, that's a Media Outsiders, call ID 81865, and that starts at just after 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, also on the Torture Service. So welcome, Logan, for that. Um, we also have uh, our very faithful and contributing in text uh, friend, Cybob, and Jedi Justice, and Perry G is just joining us in the room. Hopefully, he will come on audio in just a short while. And uh, I've got some really good proof uh, for uh, Perry. 
as well as everybody else, but particularly for Perry, about today's topic. Uh, today's topic, which we will be talking about um, after news, just to give people a reminder, on this episode 248, is top 25 scariest sci-fi and fantasy TV episodes of all time. And that is an io9 list that we will be referring to and uh, uh, talking about. But before that, um, we need to know if there's any news. Go, Typing Monkey, go! Good indeed. And let me just... Uh, Perry, yes. Um, and just so that Perry knows, yes, we're talking about the scariest... Uh, 25 scariest science fiction and fantasy TV episodes and I'm going to make this the scariest podcast for you because in 100 words I want you to explain how polarised gravity waves from the first uh, dawn of the uh, Big Bang uh, led to the information that we now know about inflation. I think you can do that in 100 words, can't you? That shouldn't frighten you. I can do it, I can do it in four. Oh! Wibbly wobbly university university. And I thought you were going to say, doesn't she look tired? <laughs> oh, it's a different show. He's brought the podcast down in four words. <laughs> Welcome, Perry. Thanks. We're just going to the uh, news items, and we, uh, we have uh, at least one item from Mike. Mike. Yes, for this news item, let's go back to 2010 when Stephen Moffat had just taken over Doctor Who and Matt Smith was the doctor, and we had all of these new plans for marketing ideas for the show. One of these ideas was a series of PC games called the Doctor, doctor Who the Adventure Games. These were announced as sort of uh, canon stories. Uh, sort of epi- they were episodic games, but they were really only released in the U.K., in the, in the years since, we've had slight availability outside the UK on something called Direct to Drive. But as of this past week, all of the Doctor Who adventure games are officially available internationally on, on Valve's Steam network. So if you have that, they're currently on sale, 10% off. So they're currently $18, meaning they normally go for about $20 for all of the Doctor Who adventure games. So... Just noting here that they are finally available to a wider audience internationally, just four years after the original ones were released. So there you go, Doctor Who, PC game. Hey, Mike, is it just... uh, I'm trying to look here quickly, but I don't see it. Is it just the uh, Windows version? It is, isn't it? There's still no international release of the Mac version, is there? Apparently not. <laughs> Unless he's looking it up. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at it. I, I found sorry, sorry, I was I, I had accidentally hit my mute oh, hotkey yeah. on Windows. But yes, the Direct to Drive thing included the, the Windows versions, but not the Mac version. It looks as though I, I'm checking on the, the Steam site here, and that's the weird thing. I know I was researching this, and the Steam store page for these that it, it doesn't mention which ones they are. Which ones are included? It just says Doctor Who: The Adventure Games. It never mentions. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the description mentions uh, the the Dalek, Cyberman, Bastion, Bastion, or the TARDIS. So presumably it's all of them. But let me scroll down the page here, and I will check. Uh, yes, it includes. No, no, it's only the Windows. It's only Windows. 
So still no Mac. Yeah, so this is BBC Worldwide making thieves of Mac users, basically. Maybe it's not ruled out, but it does seem a pity that... Uh, I mean, especially now that Macs use uh, Intel processors, I wouldn't have thought the coding would be over-complicated to, to those in the know anyway. I mean, there isn't a Mac version. It's just, as far as I understand, there's a Mac version that was released in England, but nowhere else. Right, all right. So it's just a, a licensing issue then. Right. I don't know if it's licensing. It might be Steam has done the math and said, well, it's not worth our time to put it up. Maybe, I don't know. I could be wrong, though. If, I'm going to look for a second. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Yep, let's go to uh, Ken and his news. Okay, I have a couple items of news. Uh, first off, um, memberships for next year's Gallifrey, which will be February 13th through 15th of 2015. Uh, those went for on sale at 10 a.m. on Friday at 11.20 the convention was totally sold out. Um, this is like a uh, another milestone for the convention. No guests have been announced, um, and the convention is sold out in that time, which makes a lot of people, including myself, a a uh, go of many years and uh, part of the convention, uh, a bit sad. But you you got to cap it off somewhere. And that's what keeps the convention so good. Now, that being said, um, come in autumn, um, there will be people that won't be able to hang on to their tickets that can't go for one reason or the other. So transfers are available. So those who still want to go, watch the um, Gallifrey One page on Facebook and uh, web page, and they'll have information about transfers, etc. So if you really need to and you can uh, uh, do it, I would say take advantage of that. But as of now, the convention is totally sold out. 3,200 uh, memberships sold. And um, that's info on that. David Tennant is currently in a wonderful production of Richard II the Royal Shakespeare Company. And nice thing is uh, they're going to be releasing it on DVD. It's going to be released in the UK on May 6th. The um, artwork has just uh, been revealed and shows him in modern dress uh, with tennis shoes, sitting in a chair with a um, old portrait of Richard behind him. You know, counterpointing it. Um, extras on the DVD are going to include an interview with David Tennant, uh, commentary by director Gregory Doran, and live from the Stratford-upon-Avon producer uh, John Wyver, cast gallery and subtitles in French and German. Um, there's, it's either going to be DVD or Blu-ray, and that will be sold in the UK on May 6th. No information on uh, a U.S. release, but I'm sure that will uh, follow a few months later, probably for a uh, 
showing on public television. And those are my news items. Thanks. Okay, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, um, one piece of news, and uh, really it's um, it's only uh, a little reference to it, uh, although it was a, a great big event. Um, it was on Friday in the UK, they had the... Uh, Charity Sports Relief uh, raised more than £51 million. So getting on for, what, uh, over $70 million. Uh, and uh, although I didn't watch it, I did watch a little bit of the uh, Only Fools and Horses sketch that they had with David Beckham in it. Uh, very funny if you can find that somewhere. And um, there was... Um, David Tennant seemed to make a, quite a few appearances, uh, although it was a, a sports thing. He, he seemed to come on. don't know whether the actual uh, thing went up there, but um, there was, um, it was a great event. The target had been £50 million on the day, and they raised £51 million. Hopefully that target will continue going up. Kylie Minogue, David Williams, of course, have been in Doctor Who, Sebastian Coe, uh, for all sorts of stars, uh, but uh, the Nicholas Lindhurst, Sir David Jason, and uh, David Beckham's little comedy sketch was funny, if you can get that. Okay, and uh, Perry has got something. Do you want to say that on audio, Perry? Um, yeah, I can say it out loud. I just, actually, I, I only knew the first two names on that list until I just looked at the website. But the um, Long Island Doctor Who convention, which is being held... November 7 through 9, 2014, in uh, Long Island, New York, uh, has announced several guests. The, the special guest is Paul McGann this year, and uh, appearing with Paul McGann is Emma Campbell-Jones, who um, was uh, Cass in Night of the Doctor, and they've recently, I guess in the last month, announced Colin Spall will be there. And Yiji So from the 1996 movie will also be there. And Fraser Hines is um, going to be there for the second time. He was there last year. So I'm planning to attend that, although I, uh, from what I hear on Facebook, tickets are selling quickly, although... Um, this one doesn't sell out as fast as as Gallifrey one, but I, the three day passes are pretty reasonable. Um, I think they're sixty five dollars for the whole weekend. Okay, it's right by the airport. <laughs> neither did Galley before What's this that? year. Uh, neither did Galley before this year. <laughs> it was like twelve days last year. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So this this is what this was. This was San Diego Con crazy. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. And uh, I'll just... But it's well, an alternative. Well, it's an East Coast alternative. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed, yeah. Uh, and I've just put the link into Megacon as well, just in case anybody's interested in that. That's the one that Ian's at at the moment and may well be uh, reporting, calling in live for during the course of that. Well, I think that's about it. I think uh, we've covered all the uh, things we're going to. So uh, let's listen to Andy on how you can join. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. 
This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe Phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. We're looking forward to hearing you. Uh, thank you, as always, uh, to uh, Andy for that. Um, well, we're we're on a list again. Yes, we um, we we had a little bit of a conference call on uh, Mike Randall's uh, show. Thank you, Mike, for that. And um, winning out for today's uh, uh, topic was um, going back to IO9. Uh, this is a list that was compiled right at the um, the end of. Uh, 2013. Uh, the link's in the room. Let me see. I'm not sure if anybody else has joined us since I put the link in, but uh, just in case they're not in the pro client, let's do that. Um, I had some issues here at home with the uh, power cut and uh, dealing with uh, helping um, a family member sort out a, a printer. And um, so I haven't got uh, a great deal of uh, audio clips to play alongside today's show, but with 25 uh, episodes, there was no way we were going to do all that. I have uh, polled the uh, the room, and uh, one or two of the other people in the room are going to uh, be very obliging and uh, help me read out uh, a few of these uh, later. But um, uh, we're going to start at 25 and work down. These, of course, are different TV series, different um, sci-fi programs and horror ones. And, of course, we're talking about those particular episodes. So the first one at number 25 is uh, from Fringe. Uh, the episode in question is Marionette. And I'm just going to read a little bit of that. And then, since I don't know who has watched any of these particular series, uh, I'm going to ask people to, to, to jump in, really. Uh, the Fringe team investigates uh, an organ thief and discovers that he is reclaiming the donated organs of a ballerina he was once obsessed with in order to bring her back to life. Why is it scary? Well, body snatching is an old fear and one that Fringe plays off well in this episode. One of the eerie scene, sorry, in one eerie scene, Roland rigs up a dead woman like a marionette and makes her dance. Later in the episode, he brings her back to life, and when he looks into her terrified, terrifying eyes, he knows what, that he's, what he's brought back isn't the woman he knew. Uh, pity Ian isn't here for that, because I think he's uh, really got himself into uh, Fringe. And while I put the wiki page link for this into the room, have we got uh, Fringe watchers and fans of this particular episode? Uh, it was um, uh, it aired 9th of December 2010. It was from season three, and it was episode nine of season three in Fringe. Uh, I'm being overwhelmed by silence. A little bit frightening. Yes, yes. Not a Fringe watcher, unfortunately. I've heard very good things about it, but. Right, yes. I think I think Ian's the the main person in the the room that would. Uh, be, anybody want to comment about Fringe in general um, uh, as an, uh, a series worth watching? It's all right. I mean, I won't I won't uh, wait on. We the last thing we want is silence while people uh, 
just disappeared. I, so, uh, was, I was a fringe uh, watcher, but unfortunately during that season I had some a lot of personal problems and stuff and didn't see a few episodes, and I guess this is one of them. I don't remember it at all. Okay. Um, I'm just looking to see if you've got... Um, uh, I'm, I'm not recognizing many of the names that are actually in the um, the 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 story, so it's um, one that I'll have to check out myself, I suppose, at some point. I'm sure Ian will want. The next one, I think we're on much firmer ground with familiarity. Uh, number 24, uh, we've got um, The Twilight Zone to serve man. I heard a giggle from Ken. Ken, would you like to read this one? Why, certainly. Uh, the Twilight Zone to serve man. What it's about, based on the Damon Knight short story of the same name, this twisted episode deals with aliens who invite the human race over for dinner, except that we're on the menu. Why it's scary? The fact that the whole thing rests on a pun, which everybody knows about by now, doesn't change how creepy it actually is when you watch it. The aliens' deceptive generosity is as unnerving and terrible when you see it coming, as when you don't. Okay, and I suppose we should have given spoiler warnings right at the start. If if we start talking about a series that you think you may want to watch, and uh, of course we're only giving spoilers for one particular episode, so we're not spoiling the whole series indeed for you. Uh, for instance, uh, the one that we've just talked about now, or just about to talk about, uh, there were five series of uh, Twilight Zone of the original series, you know, uh, almost 150 episodes or whatever, and then it came back. Since Rick Wall, who's with us, is also, like myself, one of the regular listeners to um, another uh, talk you called called Talking Twilight Zone, uh, perhaps uh, Rick Wall, you might uh, want to, to have a little contribution on this one. What can I say? One of my favorite episodes uh, uh i love that it's a uh, um uh, a first person story although you don't know it at first um, and uh you know uh you know when you get to the uh um, pun you say, nah, it can't be that simple, could it? And it turns out it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but, oh, it is. I love that, you know, um, uh, um, it's a real quick scene, but it's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, when... All the ambassadors and, and uh, de- uh, delegates are lining up to go on to their ship, and the Russian delegate who seemed like so negative towards Dick Hanimitz who's there, yeah, I can't wait to get to go and everything like that, and you're sitting there and you're going, <laughs> wait till he finds out. And that actor always plays Russians on shows. Yeah. <laughs> You know, or, or you know, in Mission Impossible, etc. Yeah. Uh, oh. 
Well, before we go, you go to you, Ken. Let me just play a little clip of this. And by the way, uh, if you are interested in talking Twilight Zone, uh, it is uh, every other Saturday. So uh, it will be the Saturday coming up uh, as we get to the end of March. Um, and uh, the call ID is 68228. Here's a, a clip from Serve Man. Speaking on behalf of the United Nations, I can only tell you that at this moment it would be premature to assume hostile intent on the part of these, these canimates. And so it is the position of the United Nations that the world population remain calm, to make no hostile move. To keep in mind that all governments are being apprised of the events as they happen, and have the situation well in hand. We only know that several of the craft have landed and that they... What's the secret? Why can't we have what a going on? What's happening? It appears that one of the craft has landed just a few blocks away. One of their representatives is on his way to this building. submitted for your perusal a canimate height a little over nine feet weight in the neighborhood of 350 pounds origin unknown motives therein hangs the tale for in just a moment we're going to ask you to shake hands figuratively with a christopher columbus from another galaxy and another time this is the twilight zone okay and uh yeah really uh tall actor they've elevated him somewhat more but uh, great the actual scary music on there uh, really gives you some idea of the uh, the terror in that particular episode ken you were going to come in on this one i think oh yeah i got how i love this same same feelings as rick it just it, it's a joy um i love first person narrative anyway in, in everything usually it, it gives it such a literary kind of feeling and it, it is such a good adaptation of the original story and in fact i think they do one better because in visualizing uh, the canimate this is like in your sense memory the typical 1950s slash 60s alien with the big head the brilliant kind of wise uh alien uh, the the way they are in this short story, they're they're like warthog, uh, alien-esque creatures with tusky teeth. So that kind of almost gives away the the pun at the end. But th- this works on two levels. Once you see it the first time, and you hit yourself in the head and go, "Oh my god," and you get the laugh, it still works every time you watch it because it's. It's the anticipation and the fun of it. Um, Richard Kyle, you know, not not cast for his acting abilities, but visual, you know, Jaws later on, mm. is is kind of so perfect. And we have that. Well, it's it's like a clone race. They all look like him, which which is so interesting. But the the thrust of it also being a mystery story. Because all throughout it, they're trying to translate the book. 
and his coworker is always saying, "Well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it, little little bits." So we save that teaser for the end, and it's the kind of sarcastic, "Well, eat hearty, you know. <laughs> we want to keep you healthy," and it's it's him telling the story to us and the terror of it, and how we get fooled by easy promises. It's it it's sheer perfection. It's it's white twilight zone. You know, I mean, I'll I'll say it is maybe the greatest TV series ever, in in what he did with with um, as, a, as a morality uh, tale, as being uh, a great bifocal toward uh, human nature. I mean, it, it was beautiful. I'm forgetting right now who did the adaptation. Was it Serling or Matheson on this one? Um. Uh, it was uh, based, uh, it says written by Rod Sterling based on the story. Okay, okay. Dan did and the I. adaptation. That it was Sterling did yeah. the adaptation. Okay, okay. But I mean, this is you know, it wouldn't work as well if it wasn't first person. I think that that gives it such a, a, a striking nature, and it also shows you know uh, how Twilight Zone endlessly. Saved on budget by using Forbidden Planet. <laughs> you say that, and, and day there stood still. <laughs> um, this way, by the way, this is kind of the negative flip to day the Earth stood still. You know, in and it's not intentional, of course, because it's around the same era. But it's it's the alien ship coming, the world, you know, you know, being changed by this. Offering, you know, something that will revolutionize human life, but, you know, with the, it's the difference uh, between um, when Gort is coming to us and him actually being a Christ-like savior, you know, in day the earth stood still, to these monsters. Glad act- to Gort was a you. Gort was the robot. Yeah, Gort the robot. Yeah, Klaatu and Gort. Yeah. Um, that these are um, acting like saviors and being the monsters. And then with that story, it's the opposite way around. He really is a savior, but he's treated like a monster. So it, it's kind of the flip side of uh, Day the Earth Stood Still. Right. Uh, and indeed, it's... Um... I suppose you say it's a little. No, I was going to say a little bit like um, the time machine, where we're going to the future. But that's that, that's different, isn't it? Um, yeah, this was um, series from second of March, nineteen sixty-two, uh, and it was from season three, episode twenty-four, um, and I think it's one of the the, the shorter twenty-five minutes. Uh, we've just on talking Twilight Zone got through series uh, four which was getting quite a lot of criticism for some of the people on the call because they did, uh, they'd gone to the 50-minute format. But it seemed as though the content hadn't necessarily been doubled to fill the 50 minutes. It had just been basically stretched out in many cases. Uh, and there seemed to be quite a lot of uh, that, that's people... The thing. It, it, that's the thing. It, it, in your mind, those episode, episodes don't hold up. They're not repeated as much. You know, even though there are some, you know, good hour-long Twilight Zones. 
but for for the mm-hmm. for the most part i that i think in a way hurt the format you know yeah okay a- any anyone else on the i mean we, we can spend quite a lot of time on some of these because there may be others that we we skip through fairly quickly because of the as we always say to people listening to the recording later um it's who's here on audio at the time that uh that that will influence where we go in in a particular spotlight area on the on the chosen topic so any, anyone else want to jump in without me having to go around all the names oh i like this episode because the the aliens, they don't care that, you know, the humans find out what the book is about. They they just casually leave the book there, and they know that uh, it's going to be looked at and translated, and they do translate it and find out what, the, you know, what, what they're doing, taking the, the humans for food, for their for their meals, and, and that's just creepy, that they don't even care that it, they're going to find out. Okay. Um, well, let's move on then a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute, Jeff, if you would talk about number 22. But, uh, Mike, are you able to do 23 for us? If you're distracted at the moment, well, uh, well let me go to number 23 then and... Uh, just Sorry, sorry I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I just had my microphone itself muted, as well as Skype. But uh, we're at number 23 in the list here. Thank with, you. Uh, a Star Trek Star original Trek. series episode, The Wolf in, uh, sorry, Wolf in the Fold. There's no V at the beginning. But here we are, Star Trek, Wolf in the Fold. What it's about? Mr. Scott is accused of murdering a woman on the peaceful planet of Argelius, too. But when he's put on trial, Kirk and Spock soon realize they're dealing with something older and deadlier. The, the incorporeal, incorporeal rather, entity that was once known on Earth as Jack the Ripper. Why it's scary? This episode gets justly criticized for its plot holes and misogyny, but the good old-fashioned scares still work just fine, including the unnerving end sequence where the Enterprise itself is possessed by the terrible spirit of Red Jack. There we go. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, any any particular fans of this episode? Uh, I think it's slightly untypical of uh, Star Trek. Perry and Darth, who haven't yet had a chance to speak, uh, if you want to come in, please do so. Otherwise, uh, let's see if uh, Ken or anyone has anything to say. Okay, let me just remind people. um, This is uh, from Season 2, Episode 14. Um... I'm just looking to see who the guest uh, stars were. Not not names that uh, immediately jump to my mind, but that's not necessarily a, a clue. No, I thought this one might have been one. I, I only vaguely remember it. I don't think it's one that I, I've... Uh, I mean, obviously, I've seen lots of repeats uh, over the years, but it's it's not one that, that, that uh, immediately jumps out to me. And of course, scary is not really the main thrust of uh, Star Trek. Okay, well, we're going to have to move. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, Perry. Uh, Perry's pretty he just strange and doesn't remember this one very much. Dave, so, Dave if you yeah. have the info, uh, if, uh, if memory is serving, who who 
who adapted it or who wrote it. The Wolf in the Fold, uh, let's see what it says. Um, Robert Block? Uh, written by Robert Block, yeah. Okay, that's the importance of the episode. Uh, I never loved this episode. In fact, it's kind of something I kind of was kind of fun. Red Jack, Red Jack, Red Jack. Robert <laughs> Block, writer of Psycho, and it's it's a big deal for that. And that was always the notoriety. I, th- I think of that the episode was written, but it, you know, it, it's interesting because you know um, Scotty is put up for murder, and it, it's kind of a different episode. But you know, it's okay. You know, I, I think the, I think the big uh, attraction to the episode is because the Robert Block, you know, who wrote the novel Psycho wrote a Star Trek episode. And whether right. you really adore it or not, but that's the historic aspect of it. Okay. Well, there, I mean, there's that, but there's also the fact that um, it's an, an adaptation of his own short story. Uh, George is really Jack the Ripper. Right, and it had already been adapted once for another television series, uh, which was, I guess, what would that have been? Uh, probably Thriller, I guess. Um. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a derivative of a, of a derivative in a way. Yeah. I like um, the story, I like the short story better. Okay. Yeah. But but you know we we should probably take pains to note that it is not that Robert Block wrote this one episode and that's sort of the end of it. I mean he actually wrote what two or three episodes I guess. Three. Star Trek. Yeah. And um. You know, so it's not like this is a unique thing. It's just, you know, in the, in the same way that, you know, Harlan Ellison quote unquote wrote uh, "City on the Edge of Forever," and that's the only Har- Harlan Ellison you'll find. Right. I'm just looking to see what else it was uh, in. Um, um, no. Uh, Robert Block's Wolf in the Fold is typical of both the horror writer's contributions to the series. He also wrote uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of and Cat's Paw. Yeah, uh, the say, episode. Right. But it doesn't say what else this was a, the short story was adapted. You said the short story was adapted for another, t- another your, TV your series. Jack the Ripper. Ah, oh, right. I mean, it's something that, that utilizes um, the concept of it, of Jack the Ripper through time, uh, his spirit entering another body, causing them to kill. Mm. I mean, it's not, right. it's not exactly that he's doing the adapting that he did a Star Trek one, but that thematic he used uh, elsewhere. I actually okay. thought there was another original series, Star Trek, that's not in this list of episodes that was scarier than this one, and that was uh, the episode Obsession, where Captain Kirk is um, confronted with a memory from his past of a gaseous cloud that just kills, and it's almost impossible to kill it, and they find it again, and uh, they're chasing it around the galaxy, uh, that one was more frightening for me, especially watching these episodes as, as a child. 
Right, let's see if I can just bring that one up. Um, that was season two, episode 13. In fact, um, it was the episode directly before the one we're just talking about. Yeah. Ah. It's strange then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Federation Starship Enterprise set down uh, a landing team on a planet to search for tritanium deposits while surveying Captain Kirk notices a sweet honey smell and his men go on alert. Tell them to scan for decaymium or something uh, and immediately fire at anything that looks like a gaseous cloud. I think I seem to remember that one myself. Is that the one where they sort of carry a little thing and they to lure it to it to destroy it? Yeah, they 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 uh, what they do is they get a canister filled with this blood. material, yeah, blood. Oh, that because right? that's what it that's what it's going after. It's a vampire cloud. It it basically sucks all the blood out of a body and and feeds on it. So they they lure it over with the blood. And that kind of fails on them, so they have to use themselves to lure it towards the explosive. Right. I'm trying to think of any... I, I said when we got to this one that it's untypical, but one of the... the was it the very first uh, transmitted uh, Star Trek episode? Was it the, the, the one with the, the salt, you know, I'm for you, um, mm-hmm. the salt creature? Is that Was that its name? Um the man yeah. trap was the episode. Man the man trap, yeah, uh, that was quite frightening. I thought, um, yeah, September eighth, nineteen sixty six. Anybody else want to? While we've, while Jess brought this up, I mean, uh, does any does any other one come to mind that people would would would? Uh, I mean, there are horrific moments in it. Of course, that city of the edge forever. There's that um, the terrible thing that that Kirk has to let happen. But in terms of the actual whole episode, um, there's quite a frightening one with a with a with a robot that comes on board uh, the craft. You know, the one that suspends itself, um, that uh, flies through and decides that the uh, the crew no, are no longer nomad. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Okay. Can we move on there? If you want to just mention about other oh. Star Trek, very briefly, for Next Generation, I, I would say Conspiracy. Oh, yes. Is, <laughs> is frightening. From the attitude, from the, the, the eating of the munchie worms, uh, and blasting the creature and everything, that, that, was, that was scary. I think if anything has to be, to be voted for, at least uh, give me the willies. Is that what a, was it called? Star Trek: Next Generation. What? Uh, conspiracy. conspiracy. Ah, uh, yeah. I was trying to spell it myself. Ah. There we go. Okay, yeah. That was uh, season one, episode twenty-five. Okay, um, I think, uh, Jeff, um, are you okay to go on to, I think we're up to, is it 22 now? Mm-hmm. Would you yes, care sir. to lead off? Sure. Uh, the next next one on the list is number 22, 
Torchwood's Countryside from the first series. What it's about, the sixth episode of the series has the Torchwood crew investigating the disappearances of 17 people in the rural Brecon Beacons. Why it's scary? Torchwood struggled a lot with tone in its first few episodes, but things really seem to click in Countryside. The rural setting creates an isolated tone and contrasts the natural beauty with the horror of the events. The characters actually seem developed in three-dimensional, and the reveal is both grisly and shocking, perfectly subverting expectations. I do have a clip for this one. Do you want me to play that one? Please do. Okay. 17 disappearances within the last five months. Police are clueless. Now, there's a surprise. No offense, P.C. Cooper? The last known whereabouts of each one is somewhere around here. All within a 20-mile radius. Anything else linking them? None of the bodies have ever been found. These people just fell off the radar. No patterns in age, sex, race. One minute they're here, the next, gone. The rift doesn't spread out this far, does it? We don't know that much about it, to be certain. And it's increasing in activity all the time. Oh, come on. Aliens aren't going to bother hanging around out here. Probably some sort of weird suicide club with people choosing the same spot to end it all. Oh, God knows, if I had to spend too long up here, I'd want to top myself. Here you go. Careful. They're hot. Sure you don't want anything, Tosh? Really sure. A friend of mine caught hepatitis off a burger from one of these places. We'll start with the most recent victim, Ellie Johnson. We last have record of her making a phone call. She dropped out of signal mid-call. The coverage map has her place... Somewhere about here. Mm-hmm. Looks as good a place as any to set up camp. Thank you are. for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, series one that was. I'm not quite sure which episode. Um, sixth episode. Six. Oh, yeah. Production code one six. I think there's a clue in there. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I think, yeah. None of these ZZZs and such... Okay, uh, fans of early Torchwood here. I mean, I, I seem to remember this, this was against the grain of the rest of them because, um, again, we are in spoiler territory because we are, but it, it wasn't really an alien influence in this particular case, which was was going against the grain of all the other uh, episode stories. No, uh, again, we we can't afford to just. Uh, hold uh, back. Uh, we need to, to to push, 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 as they say. <laughs> From a certain. Well, uh, I, well, I agree with you, Dave. I mean, it's what makes this one creepy and good. I think is that in the end, it was just that these people were evil. They had nothing to do with aliens. There was no other explanation, you know. And a lot of times, these shows end with, well, humans are okay, it's the aliens who are the problem, and then this one was just, you know, why did all this happen? Well, because it made me happy. <laughs> you know, why did you kill all these people? Because it made me happy. And that, that was creepy. Indeed. I agree. Okay. And Dave, well? I, I don't want to go to Willoughby. <laughs> 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 well spotted, yeah. Push, push, push. <laughs> that was the uh, the rat race that the guy oh, was trying to get away from that. his oh, boss. God. Boss from eternal hell. 
<laughs> Next stop, Wallaby. Next stop. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, really, everybody thinks that that's a very warming story, but uh, the final shot of it actually uh, brings you back to reality rather starkly. I won't say what, even though we are having spoilers. Okay, let's move on. Um, uh, I'll do this one, uh, number 21. We're back to Doctor Who. We're back to the 10th Doctor. We're back to the episode Midnight. Uh, now, I've got a cliff here, so I'm going to cut it short because it's a little bit long, I think, with all this that we're doing today. That's the headphones for Channel 136. Driver Joe at the wheel. There's been a diamond fall at the Winter Witch Canyon, so we'll be taking a slight detour, as you'll see on the map. Uh, I do apologise, ladies and gentlemen, and the variations thereupon. We seem to have had a failure of the entertainment system. Oh. What do we do? We've got four hours of this. Four <laughs> hours of just sitting here. <laughs> Tell you what. We'll have to talk to each other instead. No, I'm with this friend of mine, Donna. She stayed behind in the ledger palace. You? No, it's just me. Oh, I've done plenty of that. Travelling on my own. The history is fascinating. Because there is. No history. There's no life in this entire system. There couldn't be. We're just experiencing a short delay. It's perfectly routine, so if you could just stay in your seat. What's the problem, driver Joe? We're stabilizing the engine feet. Won't take long. Um, no, because that's the engine feet. That my man. It's fine. No fools. Who are you? Claude, I'm the mechanic. We could stay breathing for ten years. What was that? It must be the metal. We're cooling down. What I want to know is how long do we have to sit here? Is there something out there? Oh, it gets scary after that. So, we'll just have to talk for four hours. <laughs> this payment system's broken down. So, guys, it's up to you. Uh, fans of Midnight, uh, I would say it's in in my top grouping of Doctor uh, Who stories. It was a bit of a bottle episode. Uh, it was a companion light episode. Showed what the Doctor was like on his own. But, uh, of course, it was the actual uh, mirror uh, talk, which I, unfortunately is further down in that clip than uh, I actually got to play there. Uh, I think it was the, uh, was it the Leslie, Leslie Sharp uh, playing uh, the, uh, the obsessed, uh, not obsessed, the possessed person. Absolutely brilliant in the way that um, uh, started to copy, started to mirror, and then started to... Uh, actually get ahead of uh, the Doctor. And uh, my many times did it knock? <laughs> did it knock three times or four, Mike? <laughs> oh, he's been gotten. He's been gotten. Okay, uh, anyone in, uh, in the room fan of Midnight? Come on, it can't just be me. No, we're we're kind of speechless because we all love it. I think. <laughs> I, I think that's the thing. It brilliant Doctor Who, brilliant use of horror. I, I this is something scary uh, on a on the uh, what people do in society and turning on each other. Just like you were saying, the, the use of the synchronization is so frightening. I'm just, I can watch it over and over again, and I go, I can't believe the job they're doing, you know, doing that together. 
you know, they must have gone home after after doing that show and uh, been a bit frightened. You know, there's there's some things that just go into the terror of of something simplistic of life, and I, I guess it's it's good people turning into monsters, and the way they show this, it's just there, there's just something primal in the, what Russell T. Uh, tapped into with with his writing and what they did in this show. It's it's unique. It shows you that you don't need big sets and gore and whatever else you have to scare you. Yeah. Just put throw some good actors in a room. You can it's 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 like a play. Yeah. yeah. Have a have a one room setting, throw the key away and let the camera roll. And it, it's brilliant. Well, if I, well, if I can that? blow my own horn, that's sort of what um, uh, Harrow House is. Uh, anywho, yeah. <laughs> my my own my only complaint is why is it is this list in number of what should be number one or so? Because Midnight, as being an example of frightening television, should be in the top five. Yes, I absolutely I agree with that. Completely Come on. agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I didn't actually read the spiel. Let me just read that, and I think Darth is ready to come in. Um, what's it about? The Doctor tries to take a trip to a waterfall made of sapphires, but his tour shuttle stalls, and something gets nasty. Something nasty gets inside. It takes over the body of a woman passenger, mimicking everyone on board before settling on the Doctor himself. Why is it scary? It, this is psychological horror at its best. We never actually see the episode's monster, and the really frightening part of the episode is how the people on the shuttle behave. Panic and hysteria take over, and everyone argues over what to do, with the majority wanting to throw the Doctor out into the airless, deadly planet's surface. And, of course, we have uh, Patrick Troughton's son uh, in this. We also have the young actor who was uh, going to become uh, Merlin, uh, uh, in the episode, so um, uh, just get his name at the moment. What's his name, John? Colin, Colin something, Colin, whatever. <laughs> Colin, um, damn it! Ah. It's, a simple, it's a simple last name, Colin. Uh, What's it, John? Hmm. I'm looking for it. I can't see it listed here, and uh, that's annoying me now. Morgan. Morgan. Colin Morgan. There you go. That's it. Thank you. Colin. Were you going to come in when I started reading that, Darth? Eh, not really. I mean, it's uh, it is what it is. I don't know. I, I have a real problem with fear and 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 defining what that means. Um, a lot of things that are. You know, traditionally said to be scary aren't particularly scary to me. So, whatever. I mean, I, th- I think on the scale of things, on the scale of Doctor Who, that is relatively more frightening. And again, one of the reasons that it is frightening is because of its essential reality and because there's an emotional through line that makes sense. And it, it's you have to have 
genuine emotion in order for that fear to be there. I think if you're going to compare this, for instance, to Countryside that we've already talked about, or maybe even Wolf in the Fold, the difference here is that you um, two things are going on. There's there's the object of the uh, fantastical element that is causing you know supposed fear. Uh, and that's you know the the being the the midnight entity that is infected first Leslie Sharp's character then David Tennant's and and that on one level is sort of I would call it even though it's the fantastic element it is ordinarily frightening uh, actually it's it's the it's the thing which is frightening in the in a theatrical sort of sense in a um, even science fictional sense it's it's the thing that is frightening and that's also sort of what's in Countryside, even though Countryside, you know, we've mentioned doesn't have science, it doesn't have aliens per se in it. It is still pretty damned odd, you know, that people would just sit around chopping up other people's bodies. That is beyond the, the realm of most people's normal experience. What is missing, though, in in Countryside and uh, Wolf in the Fold is, uh, and, and I think. Too, we'll probably get into. I haven't even looked at this list really, but you know, certainly with Walking Dead, one of the things that's missing is that um, there's no genuine emotional reality to the situation. And then what's great about Midnight is that it has the other element of character-based uh, inability to control the situation. So the doctor who ordinarily is in absolute control of his surroundings uh, becomes fundamentally unable to even talk to people without them hating him. And and that's what the, is the, the additional element in uh, Midnight that really is required for there to be, I think, genuine horror, uh, terror, fear. Fear comes from the fact that your hero, your protagonist, doesn't know how to solve the situation, the problem. And I think a lot of times, especially with like Walking Dead and some other sort of more fantastical things, they rely solely on the problem, right? Solely on, oh, here are these zombies. What are these zombies doing? Oh, oh, oh. You know, that's terrible. Or here's the body, here's the reincarnation of Jack the Ripper going through all these bodies. Oh, that not that horrible? Isn't that terrible? Um, and, and that's not enough. You've got to have something beyond that to, to work it out. That's what makes gravity, ultimately. And I know we're talking television, but let's talk about a current movie. Um, that's what makes gravity, ultimately, ridiculously frightening. It, it, it's because... The situation of being without gravity or, you know, at the mercy of gravity, at least, that is completely understandable. That is, in itself, it's frightening, but it's not enough in and of itself to actually instill genuine terror. The terror comes from the fact that it is particularly Sandra Bullock's character who is the least capable person up in space at that time to get down back to Earth because she, you know, she's a mission specialist. Period. That's it. She doesn't have real genuine astronaut training, you know, 
that George Clooney's character does. Right. If it was George Clooney's character in the title role, that film would not be frightening. That film would merely be action adventure. But because it's Sandra Bullock, you're like, this woman has no chance in hell of solving the essential problem. And I, I think, again, that, that's what's so great about Midnight is the doctor who should be capable of getting out of this situation with, you know, the snap of his fingers is reduced to not being able to communicate at all. And that has nothing to do with the Midnight Entity. So he's, in fact, got two communication problems. Um, and, and I think that that's that's brilliant. That's what's required for me to be genuinely scared. And, and so that's why Midnight is great. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so you would have put it higher up the list than I take it. Yeah, I haven't seen the list, so I, 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 I'm not saying I necessarily would because it's not you know the world's most frightening thing in the world. But you know, hold on, let me look at this. Probably I would say it should be higher. I guess. Uh, let me see what I, I mean. It's certainly, if Walking Dead is on this list, Walking Dead is not frightening. Um, I'm, I'm assuming Walking Dead is on this list because it's the the end yeah, I think it's right it's well, yeah, uh, uh, but you know, and and it's oh, it's not on my list. Oh, then definitely Walking Dead is on the you know higher up on the list. Um, but let me just look here. I would it be? Yeah, okay, take time. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean is, is this high? Are we, have we? Sorry, I have intermittently been working. Have is Blink higher than this? Because I don't think lower. No, because we've already covered Blink. Yeah. No, Blink. we haven't. No, no, we haven't. Blink's higher. You're right. Blink is higher. You're right. Apologies. No. Uh, it's because me, me, I'm getting my links prepared for <laughs> further down the list. That's what it is. <laughs> um, 42 is another one, uh, you could argue, in the Doctor Who series was quite frightening. And for, also you, I, could, you know, I, I think that that is it's probably not on this list because people really have no. hate on for 42 because it's. Chibnall or whatever, and because that last, you know, the scene at the end with the, you know, has, has some scientific problems apparently of being that close to the sun and doing a spacewalk that close to the sun wouldn't be possible and all this, you know, whatever. I found 42 at the time, and I still think it's a great episode. It, it is, it's because, again, it, it has to do with the emotional reality and the emotional reality of David Tennant not being able to do a damn thing about his predicament. Uh, he he is at, at the moment. I tell you what kills me in that episode is the moment where I mean, remember forty two starts out with wait, does it start out with it? Doesn't forty two start out with him giving the key to Martha? I think it does, doesn't it? Whatever. At, uh, well, the, at, the, point, the, the, at the point that forty two starts, it, it's clear uh, that Martha is now a little bit more than just you know a I'll take you one trip kind of girl. I mean, at this point, she is actually a part of the crew, right? And right. The, the thing that kills me, that absolutely, every time, just gut-wrenchingly difficult, is when David Tent, when Martha's putting him into the machine, right? He's been infected by the, the sun, and he's going into that, what looks like an ultrasound scanner or whatever, uh, to sort of freeze him or whatever. And he looks at He's trying to keep his eyes closed, you know, struggling on the bed. And he, he he turns to Martha and says, Martha, there's this thing you don't know about me. I change. Like, he starts to tell her the regeneration thing. Like, the regeneration is going to happen. 
And at that moment, because it, it just it, it floors me every time, because it's like, wow, you are so scared, you think this is it. It's kind of that moment of, you know, Planet of the Spiders, you know, I had to go back and face my fears kind of thing. It, it's, But it's more than that. I mean, it's much more amped up, much, much more than that. And, and the fact that he would now be trusting Martha to, at a moment of crisis, hey, here's what's going to happen, and, and you know, to try to prepare the way. Just, it's it's great, great stuff um, in in terms of the fear. And you can, you know, I, I think I think fear is fundamentally an irrational thing. Obviously, that's 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 why it's fear. You you fear the unknown, and uh, so even in an episode that you could argue has some scientific problems, uh, you can still experience great fear because it's just it's set up well enough, and it is acted beyond brilliantly. To the point that you believe the end is coming, and that's always what fear is—what fear is supposed to be—that you believe the end is inescapable, right? Mm. So, well, yeah, forty-two is a felt, great one. That's what I felt about midnight because the the people mm. on that, that transport were about to throw the doctor out where he would die. Absolutely, but but again, the the, the great thing about midnight is. You know, it, it gets you to the. It is based on emotional reality, and and people getting to the end of their emotional tether in a realistic way, even in the face of something which is fantastic and and you know couldn't happen in real life or probably couldn't happen in real life. Um, but I think I think a lot of times people and in this list so far seems to have focused on just the problem. Just the issue, which is is causing people to have uh, fear, and, and that's not enough. It's got to be that plus the expression of fear by the characters involved that lets you know, man, they ain't getting out of this. There's no way they're getting out of this. It cannot possibly be that they are getting out of this. And when you get to that point, where you have impossibility plus uh well reality at the same time then you've got fear and certainly now looking at this list I, I honestly don't think that you know midnight is not as good as punky brewster perils of punky <laughs> um yeah. or even battlestar galactica valley of darkness though that is actually really quite uh, good, but certainly it is not scarier than Buck Rogers' Space Vampire uh, or Space 1999 Dragon's Domain. There's n- no, no. But anyway, Some, something that 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 echoes to me on this with with Midnight is uh, Monsters You Do on Maple Street. Hmm. Uh. Same kind of turning on each other and. How, what monsters they become uh, because of the fear they have. Yeah, there's another uh, Twilight Zone episode kind of like that where, and I can't remember the name of the episode, but um, there's this neighborhood of of people, and one of them has a a bomb shelter, and then suddenly there's news. It's called the shelter. uh, the shelter, thank you. And there's news of a possible attack coming, and 
everyone turns on the one family that has the shelter. Mm. But again, with this list of sins of omission, uh, another terrifying Doctor Who episode to me is uh, Turn Left. Uh, That's terribly frightening. I mean, the, yeah. the, the world without the Doctor and the joy of what Donna's had and and the cost of what she has to sacrifice. And that episode only works when we know the positives. But mm-hmm. once we know that, that is a terrifying episode. But, yeah, and again, what, what's so great about that is you have the science fictional event, which is not actually the the time beetle thing. It's not actually the alteration of it. It's not actually the what happens when you turn right thing. The science fictional event is the... Titanic hitting London, causing a massive thermonuclear yeah. event, and and then what is horrible is the emotional reality of what then happens. That that Britain turns into a police state. That Britain turns into a fundamentally racist state. I mean that is just scary in and of itself, right? I mean the yeah. nation that that stood up to Hitler actually yeah. turning into Hitler's. Britain, Hitler wins, essentially. And, and it's fundamentally frightening. And i tell you another thing, and I, not to gloss over that, because Turn Left turn left and Midnight, obviously, are just the two best things that RTD ever wrote, really. Um, well, but I, I would throw in Tooth and Claw, but whatever. Um, but they are unquestionably classics of Doctor Who. The other thing that is was fundamentally frightening to me that is not going to get a mention on this list. The other sort of 42-esque thing is um, Stolen Earth. Stolen Earth is, to me, just mind-bogglingly frightening at the very end. And the reason that it's frightening at the very end is because... It wouldn't be frightening now, because we know how it turns out. It wouldn't be frightening if you watched it later in 2008 because you knew how it turned out then. But on transmission, if you're watching along with BBC One and you're sitting there at the end of Stolen Earth where Tennant is regenerating, where Rose is going apeshit, frankly, where um, Barrowman is doing actually some acting for once and he is behaving you know stoically and resigned to what's going on and donna is just completely clueless as to what's going on they sold the moment of is tenant going to regenerate has what happened actually just happened did i see what i think i saw and that's why i think people went crazy in that week between the two oh episodes. that was an insane week and and, and the other thing that may, that sells it too and this is an, another interesting impact you know on that we haven't really talked about yet and that is when you watch something that's scary where are you watching it what is your mood when you're watching it um because i tell you wh- what was great about watching it in the moment is it was plausible because of what you knew or didn't know about the behind-the-scenes operation of Doctor Who. It seemed perfectly plausible that that was it for David Tennant. I mean, it's at the end of three years. Three years seems like a good time for a contract to expire. The fact that it it could have been 
that he was out of contract at that point made it possible that, of course, he could regenerate. You, the difference between that and impossible astronaut is striking, and it has everything to do with the fact that you know for a fact Matt Smith is still contractually obligated to be a part of Doctor Who. So therefore, when you see him appear to regenerate on the beach, you know that's never going to fly. So you're not afraid of that. But the thing that's great about Stolen Earth, or at least if you were watching it contemporaneously, the thing that's great is, you know, David Tennant might have actually been on his way out. And if he, you know, falls short by one episode of finishing out his third season, that's plausible. That could happen, you know? And that's what made that just just fantastic. And and the other thing too, you know, one of the reasons that I I, I will always think of Gravity as basically a horror film is because the first time I watched Gravity, I was on a plane. I mean, a plane is not where you want to watch Gravity. It's really not, but yet it seems like it really is. I mean, it was completely mesmerizing. You're looking out the window, and you're like, oh, my God, this could happen to me. I mean, I know I'm a little bit further down in the atmosphere, but it still could happen to me. I could still crash, you know, and you're, and you're watching it, and it's like, oh, man, this is the best thing ever. And it's the same thing, you know, wherever you're watching it, you know, if you watch a, a scary movie in broad day, daylight in, I don't know, a student union, and you got your headphones on, and you're watching on your laptop, that's not going to really scare you that much. Not really, you know, but... If you're in, a, in an IMAX theater and it's darkened and the the images are huge in front of you, you might be a little more scared, you know? So fear is one of those, like comedy, you know, comedy is always better when you're watching it with other people because you get the amplified effect of the audience laughing and clapping and, and being a part of the joined experience. Fear is highly dependent upon the situation in which you watch it. And I think, you know, Countryside, one of the reasons maybe people not so crazy about Countryside exactly as being super scary is because if you're watching it contemporaneously, by that point, a lot of people I know had already kind of given up on Torchwood. And if they were watching it, they were watching it out of the corner of their eye while they were doing other things just because they had an obligation to continue to support, you know, this Doctor Who spinoff. Right, you had to do it, and so you you get the countryside, which is you know a, a genuinely well put together story, really, compared to what had come before. Um, you, and you're looking at it, and it's like, well, you're probably not you're not giving it your full attention. But now, if you go back and you look at it, you might say, oh, actually, there's some stuff there. There, there, it's it's, it's okay. Um, it's not nearly as good. And I'm looking at this list, and I don't see anything from Children of Earth, which I find ridiculous how could countryside be better and more scary than the last children of earth day five i can't i just that blows my mind children of earth day five is ridiculously scary in so many levels right or or at least day four you know at least when spoilers owen no it's not owen what the hell is his name yanto when he finally bites it that's pretty scary <laughs> you know I think he was scared well, he wouldn't buy. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, kind of. Well, even even the last episode of season two, when when it is actually Owen and Tosh, that again, spoilers for something that's whatever, six years old now. Um, yeah, you know, when they died, that's pretty scary. Um, and, and I think better scary than countryside because countryside, you know, the character. There are some character beats with Gwen. There are some character beats with Owen. None of that's particularly scary, though. I mean, it's all about those 
and, and Tosh has you know good buy the fear apple there too, but the the fear and and the emotional content is really with the guest actors. Therefore, you can't quite connect to that in the same way that you can Children of Earth Day Five. I mean, that is about core people that you love in the series, right? And they're going through emotional hell, and so that's why that's more scary. So it is weird that countryside is chosen as the most scary Torchwood episode because I, I don't see that at all. Um, but anyway, I, I just think it's important to note whatever's on this list, it matters very much when and how you see it more maybe than the actual content of the script. The actual you know gestalt thing that happens when everybody gets together and puts and finishes the production and comes up with this you know joint effort um the, it doesn't matter how many people are working on something if you're not viewing it in an appropriate environment that will induce fear, then you know the spell is very easily broken All right uh when you said Torchwood, you said you meant series four, the Miracle Day one. No, I mean series three. Is there another series three? Yeah, I, I get mixed up with the because I can't remember. We've had four or five now. It's series three, isn't it? You're right. Yeah. Uh, just listening <laughs> to those people listening back, it's the it's series three that had that. Yeah. Okay. Children of Earth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Children of Earth, that's right. Yeah, crime, that was scary. Yeah, yeah I'm, scared. I'm, I'm just double-checking this list. It is not on this list. The only Torchwood is Countryside. That's that's crazy. Crazy. How ridiculous that's, is that? It's father crazy. Yeah. All right, okay. Um, well, we've got too far to go. I was looking to see if I had a, a clip from that, but we, we've got too long to go in this to, to do that. Just um, a quick uh, aside. Um, Mike must have uh, got panicked. I pressed the wrong button. Uh, that's why he's not on audio and didn't reply to my thing. Sorry about that, Mike. I might have missed that in the room. And Ian's just sent me a message saying, um, on our way home from Orlando, uh, just stopping for lunch. Hope the show is going well. See you later. So... Um, that means that uh, we won't be getting a uh, Megacon call-in report from Ian unless he does it between uh, that and his dessert. You never know. Okay, um, Perry, um, would you... Uh, have you got the list up? Would you be happy enough to read the next one to move us on, number 20 or not? Um, okay, this is not one I'm familiar with. No, name so. number 20... Amazing Stories, Mirror, Mirror. And what it's about is directed by Martin Scorsese. This 1986 episode follows a cynical horror writer, Sam Waterston, who appears on television and claims to be immune to being scared by any supernatural creatures. But after the writer snubs an overeager young fan, he starts seeing a terrifying phantom, Tim Robbins, in every mirror, and it seems to be coming closer and closer each time. Why it's scary, as Dinosaur Dracula writes, the scares in this episode do not stop. It's a relentless roller coaster terror from beginning to end, and it plays with both with both visceral and psychological fears. The final twist is both bleak and unnerving. 
Okay, well, again, we've spent a long time on, on midnight. We'll certainly spend some time on this. If there are regulars, our watchers, uh, people familiar with this particular episode, but I'll only pause a short while, if I may. I probably watched it, but I've only seen it once, if I have watched it, and it's been, what, 30, almost 30 years now. I don't remember it at all. Yeah. Same here. You know, and they don't okay. re- and they don't repeat the amazing stories that much, unfortunately. Okay. Well, let, let, let's move on then. Uh, we're we're only up to nineteen, and uh, we're nearly an hour and a half in. So let me read this one quickly. Number nineteen: Twin Peaks, Lonely Souls. What what it's about? This is the one where we find out who killed Laura Palmer. And we finally glimpse the true horror of Bob, Bob, the nightmarish figure at the heart of this series. Why it's scary, as the cerebral notes, uh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, Ray Wise's performance as Bob possessed Leyland is in some ways more disturbing than seeing Bob himself. This episode is brutal, unnerving, quintessential Twin Peaks. No, it's is it Ken that's the Twin Peaks fan? I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was very spooky and uh, uh, very unnerving. The first series of Twin Peaks is rather rather groundbreaking, uh, and it, it was very vivid. David Lynch at his weirdest, with dancing dwarves and Killer Bob and. And Ray Weiss is a very good actor. He was very good in that. Backward talking. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it it deserves to be on any list of of fright-inducing television. Very, very uh, surreal and uh, uh, very uh, macabre at the same time. Yeah, very good. But again, it's, it's been years. I've, I haven't watched it since uh, it was broadcast. Okay. It's been a while. Yeah, Anybody uh, else? Yeah, again, another series that hasn't been repeated much. Although they keep doing rumors about him bringing it back or continuing it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... Not much I can say about that one, really, myself, I must admit. Okay, well, uh, Jeff, are you up for reading one for us? As Jeff stepped away. Rick Wall, do you want to have a go at reading one? And I don't know whether, I don't want to put people on the spot, but I otherwise, I don't want to feel as though they're being left out either. You can say no. No problem. Uh, Quantum Leap, the boogeyman. Is that the one you wish? Please. All right. What it's about. Sam leaps into the horror novelist, into a horror novelist, sorry, in 1964, and finds himself in the middle of a gothic nightmare as people around him begin to die in mysterious circumstances. Why it's scary? Unlike your usual Quantum Leap episode, this one is where Sam doesn't save everybody 
And there are some disturbing twists, including the revelation that something is not quite right with Sam. Sam's buddy, Al. You see, it all, I'll make it... Go on, sorry. It all leads up to a confrontation with the capital E, Evil. See, I'm trying to make this podcast scary where, you know, you're falling asleep at the back of the class and the teacher says, uh, Oi, you... <laughs> read the next chapter. <laughs> what, me, sir? I was just looking out at the netball girls outside, sir. Sorry, sir. <laughs> No, I, I don't mind. Ah, oh, good. Uh, I've got nothing to say about this particular one myself. Uh, in fact, I'm going for the link. It just goes to a, a link of... Um... Oh, hang on. Go on, who, does anybody else want to come in? Because I... I think this is one of the worst. It was a, a bad episode rather than a frightening episode. I didn't really like it. Love Quantum Leap. I don't remember the episode. Yeah, I love I love Quantum Leap. Yeah, but I must have just phased that one out. Uh, it must have been. Let me have a look when it first aired. Does it say when it first aired? Oh um, uh, no! It wasn't a horror episode then. I mean, um, a Halloween episode. No, I'm not sure if this was the one where he was Stephen King or not. No, I don't think so. No, it's where he was about ghosts, wasn't it? What, the Stephen King one? Yeah, I believe so. Now, unfortunately, this keeps going to uh, the Quantum Leap wiki here, so let me see if... Oh, I put it in once, but try to get the right one, yeah. To be honest with you, I don't remember it myself. <laughs> okay, well, we've got two minutes to go through. If uh, Oh, gosh, we're getting an echo back from somewhere again. Apologies for those listening later. Let, let, let's move on down. Um, number 17, Punky Brewster. Um, Rick Wall, can you just mute a moment, please? I think your name is lighting up. Punky Brewster, Perils of Punky. What's it all about? Yes, really, Punky Brewster. It's that 1980s TV show about a super cute, precocious little girl. Just like with the... Oh, I didn't even know it was a girl. I thought it was a boy. Oh, there you are. shows what I know. Just like with the Garfield Halloween episode we mentioned last week, uh, this is a piece of supernatural horror that scarred the psyche of a whole generation. Punky's friend Alan is killed and turned into a war zombie, and everybody else is slaughtered by some kind of evil spirit, including Punky's dog. Why it's scary? Uh, this post over at Strange Famous Records more or less covers it. This episode is scary because it's so surreal and unexpected. Where is the David Lynch quality about it which turned us... There's a David Lynch quality about it that turned our safe, morally supreme, punky Brewster universe on its head. Hmm. Wow. And listening to that, uh, I mean... I. Uh, I've got no idea about it at all, but just reminded me, you know, when we were talking about Twilight episodes, um, 
what was the what was the one with the young boy who could uh, do everything? It'll be all right tomorrow or something. Tomorrow's a, fi- a, a fine day or something. Uh, Rick, well, you'll probably remember that episode. Um, it's a wonderful with life. The young. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful it's life Moomy. episode. The movie, yeah. Uh, that was probably. Uh, oh. Much. I mean, if you're going to have one where the where it's a child that's involved in the storyline, um, but um, no, I've got. Uh, well, I didn't even know Punky Brewster was a girl, so that shows you how much I knew. Ah, fancy me not knowing. You could have a twenty-five list of just scary Twilight Zones, actually. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> that is coming to mind at the moment. In fact, let's move ourselves on. Uh, Ken, would you like to read number 16 for us then? All right. We'll move on. It just, it just so happened I brought that up. Um, the Twilight Zone, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. What it's about, better known as the one where William Shatner sees a gremlin on the wing of the airplane. Why it's scary. There's so many harrowing Twilight Zone episodes. People we asked mentioned Time Enough at Last and The Masks gave some of us nightmares as kids. But this one is justly famous because of Shatner's utter conviction and because it plays on two basic fears, fears of flying and the awfulness of being the only one who sees something and not being believed. Right, and uh, I have indeed got a copy for this one, uh, a bit of uh, audio for this one, so let's play that. Portrait of a Frightened Man, Mr. Robert Wilson, 37, husband, father, and salesman on sick leave. Mr. Wilson has just been discharged from a sanitarium, where he spent the last six months recovering from a nervous breakdown, the onset of which took place on an evening not dissimilar to this one, on an airliner very much like the one in which Mr. Wilson is about to be flown home. The difference being that on that evening, half a year ago, Mr. Wilson's flight was terminated by the onslaught of his mental breakdown. Tonight, he's traveling all the way to his appointed destination, which, contrary to Mr. Wilson's plan, happens to be in the darkest corner of the Twilight Zone. Would you wake up? There you go. Yeah, I mean, I think the gremlin was about the only bad thing about it. When you, I think you saw a couple of close-ups. In actual fact, on that uh, wiki page I've linked that I put in the room, those listening uh, to the recording later, uh, go to chatgrabber.com and you can find the links to all these different uh, wiki pages and so on going in. So, yeah, definitely uh, one of the ones. And uh, Rick Wall, uh, did you say that that was um, upcoming on Talking Twilight Zone? Yes, it's coming up this weekend, the Saturday the 29th. Brilliant. And that is the uh, Talking Twilight Zone call ID. You said it before, but I'll say it again. Uh, 68228, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Do you want to talk about this one then, Rick Wall, while you're unmuted? All right, um, let's see. Um, saw it when I was much younger and flying 
basically by myself occasionally. Um, you know, because of school and everything. Like when my parents went off to on a vacation, I'd catch up to them later. And uh, that's all I needed was this to see this. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, uh, I wasn't as scared in this one though as I was with uh, um, uh, um, to serve Matt. But it was scary. Um, you know, looking back at it or actually seeing it now, um, Shatner is actually kind of wooden, but still pulls it off. Um, but uh, yeah, no, and and it it as you said when you read it, uh, it it attacks you on two normal quote unquote fears. You know, seeing something that may or may not be there, and are you the only one seeing it? And flying, and a lot of people are afraid of flying, um, even to this day. Um, you know, so not not myself, but you, you know what I mean. Okay. But um, okay. yeah, that's about all I'm going to oh. say. Till I'll, I'll say some more Saturday. <laughs> okay. I'll be able to make it Saturday. Um, love this creepy good episode. I think Shatner hits just the right tone. This one actually scares me more than just a ban, because that's just kind of, well, that's not going to happen. That's a punchline. This is all the way through his fear that he's having a, a breakdown again, trying to let everyone know that, no, I'm okay, that, that this is really happening. And I love the gremlin. It scares the heck out of me. Um. Guy in the gremlin suit, I think it's Janos Prohoshka, who, if memory serves, he was also in the, he's in the Mama Horda. Um, I might be wrong on that with the name, unless you have more details on this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking it up Is now, that, yeah. Maybe I'm mistaking. Maybe it's Nick Nick Kravat. Nick, 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 Nick Kravat, yeah. Burt Lancaster's partner in all those swashbuckling films. It's Nick Kravat. As a little guy, though he's like in the he's in the flame and the arrow, etc. I love the kind of horrible suddenness the way he like you know appears at the window and him scambling uh, all over the plane. Even though they improve the effects and the look of it, this is so much better than the redo they did in the Twilight Zone movie with John Lithgow. Uh-huh. You know, um, this, this is a horrible, frightening thing, and this, I mean, kind of the old, the old military fear of gremlins. He, even gremlins, you know, using old Warner Brothers cartoons. You know. Gremlins from the Kremlin. Gremlin, you know thing. You knew what I was thinking of. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. It would, it would bugs. So. Fine, and, and it's it's a kind of a bottle episode. It's just a few people, and 
him in a chair on a plane, but the the use of music and direction and and Matheson's great script, his adaptation of his short story, um, it, it's wonderful. It, it's wonderfully scary, and you know. Hopefully they are going to understand uh, that it just wasn't an accident at the end when they see it all ripped off. He still sounds kind of crazy that he's going to see something on the uh, on the wing. No, actually, to... you see the claw marks. So well, I know, I know, see the claw from. marks, but they they could just they could just you know they'd pawn that off on just you know debris hitting the plane or something. I don't know. I mean, we have we have to go with it that it's going to be okay for him. And they're going to believe him, but it's right. um, yeah. I mean, if 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 you're investigating a uh, a near a fatal plane crash, and you look at a wing, you're going to they're going to write their report. Hmm. Okay, Gremlin, check. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to you got to go with a leap of faith on this one, and and it's it, it's great. It is great, and. You know, again, you could again you could do twenty five. Actually, they they have done that. Um, <laughs> if you remember the B twenty nine that flew into the uh, uh, Empire State Building, yeah. Why why yeah. did it fl- fly into the Empire State Building? Because of gremlins. Right. <laughs> that is the, that is on the official yeah. record. I would say, and I forget the episode title. You might have that with you, Dave or Rick. The other one Shatner did on uh, Twilight. Nick of Tan. Yeah. yeah, that is a devastatingly frightening episode to me. You know, the two of them going to be trapped there, and he's he's wonderful in that. So, yeah, I I like. I was a little more frightened in that in that one than this one too. And Chatner wasn't as wooden in that one as he was in this, but yeah, that, that was uh, yeah. Okay, I think we need to move on. Um, Jeff is back uh, on audio with us. I think he stepped away for a little while. Uh, welcome back. Uh, are you you you're up to where we're up to? Would you like to have a go at uh, number fifteen for us? Absolutely. Number fifteen is Battlestar Galactica. This is the revised series, Valley of Darkness, and I believe this was, um, if I recall, it was season two, maybe the first or second episode. Uh, what it's about, a computer virus causes the power to go out as Cylons and Tyrians board the Galactica. Why it's scary? Seeing the large armored centurions stomp and shoot their way through the dark galactica is enough to freak anyone out. This one of the closest call this is one of the closest calls in the entire series, as the centurions nearly blow all the air out of Galactica, and the always atmospheric ship looks like it really could become a death trap. Again, I'm not really uh, into Battlestar Galactica's uh I've gone on records saying I thought it was. Um, well, I can't remember what I have said, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I, I, I watched the original, and we we should, I suppose, we do we need to actually say that this is the 
the remake. I suppose that goes without saying, doesn't it? Yeah, I well, I, I called it the revised series, but yeah, it's the remake yeah. series. Yeah. Do you want to add anything of your own on it? Um, it's been a long time since I've seen this, but uh, I do have memories of seeing the light going on and off and seeing the, the centurions stomping through, and you could see them as they're firing their, their, their weapons, and that was quite frightening. And uh, if I recall, there was also blood splattering around onto the centurions. It was, it was just, if, if you were, as Darth would say, if you were in the right uh, mood or in the right area, that could be quite frightening, depending on how you're watching it, where you're watching it at. Okay. Anybody else want to jump in on this? Because we're we're going to have to motor a little bit. I don't really want to take this list into next week. So, yeah, as I say, it is actually really very funny. I find it very scary. That particular Valley of Darkness. It's a well, well, if we if you've got something pertinent to talk about, then that's that's no, fine. No, that's it. Just to say that I think it is reasonable that it is on this list. It, okay. is, it, is, it is really quite great. I mean, you can just tell by the picture that they have here on this IO9 site, which is of a, you know, gunmetal gray Cylon with clear blood on his, um, you know, chest plate or whatever. Uh, that's kind of what the episode is. A whole lot of killing. Okay. Um. I don't know. The reason I haven't asked you to read any out, Darth, is because I know that you're doing other things at the same time. Did you want to have a go reading one out? Or yeah, sure. Rather pass? We're going to, uh, I guess, Buck Rogers in the 25th century Please. now. And the episode chosen there is Space Vampire. What it's about is that, uh, well, you don't think of the disco-fired Buck Rogers TV show as being scary or even thrilling, but this episode terrified legions of kids and... Well, a whole lot of adults, too. Basically, it's about a space vampire stalking people on a deserted space station. Why it's scary is that it's a surprisingly solid Dracula homage, including the epistolary elements of Bram Stoker's novel, as well as a lot of Dracula's powers of mind control and transformation. And when the space vampire turns the station crew into his undead minions... That's kind of insane. There's some really intense horror camera work, including the slow pan when we first see the Vovron. And the ending, where Wilma Deering is left sobbing by her ordeal, is kind of insane. Okay. I'm wondering whether, uh, again, I don't really know much about the history of uh, American TV, but I mean, what what was the censorship like, uh, Darth or Ken, in terms of uh, portraying horror. I mean, uh, it, we it know that there was no censorship more, uh, actually uh, portraying horror at all. Um, but it also mostly, wasn't that bad, as memory serves. The he's kind of a Nosferatu knockoff. Yes, and I don't think there's any real blood, and everyone's okay at the end. I, I guess the most. I guess what people really uh, watched was Aaron Gray is possessed for a little bit 
and she kind of does the vampire sexy thing um, a little bit in the episode. But it's 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 not so horrific. It's just you know Buck Rogers as a TV show every now and then had a decently serious episode, you know, um, amongst the the playfulness of it, and this was one of them. And it was, but it it's not so it's not so blood splattering or terrifying. I mean, it's it's a children's story uh, compared to Buffy Hush. Ah, you right, know. right. You know, so I mean, that it, gives me a reference. Yeah. You know, in comparison, I mean, this was you know, this was eight o'clock at night, lightweight, but they're not going to have anything. It's nothing you wouldn't see in a universal horror film. Nothing heavier than you... it was fun though. I like No it was, but it's not it's not gonna be anything heavier than you'd see in Lugosi's Dracula. That's that's what I'm saying. You're not gonna find anything in that that's gonna be any spookier than Creature from the Black Lagoon or Dracula or the Wolfman. Mm, and, I and, thought Dracula was scarier with the with the dark mood and the you know, the the, the, the well, yeah, well, that's the same thing. Thing that it's not going to be anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are heavier. I mean, Wolf, Wolfman with the mist and everything. But I mean, you know, they, you know, it, let's face it. First time I saw a Hammer film as a kid, I got freaked out because the <laughs> the level between going from Lugosi to Christopher Lee is 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 like very large, diff, different mindset. Yeah, so, but this this wasn't um, so outlandish or anything. Okay, anybody else before we move on? Okay, um, I'll I'll move on to number thirteen. And if Perry, if you're uh, okay to do so, I might ask you to go read number twelve when we get to it. Uh, but um, number sure. thirteen, thank you. Uh, are you afraid of the dark? The Tale of Ghastly Grinner. What's it about? A comic book fan obsessed with a supervillain, the Ghastly Grinner. Basically, the Joker. And accidentally brings him to life by microwaving his comic book. Soon the Ghastly Grinner is gunning, running rampant uh, in the real world, turning people in, into his minions with blue teeth. Why is it scary? This episode regularly appears on lists of the show's scariest episodes, largely on the strength of the horrifying evil clown and his ability to turn people into drooling idiots with his gaze. When Ethan gets trapped inside a comic book by the Grinner, that's just the sick icing on the cake. So, let me turn my drooling idiots by my gaze. Who wants to become a drooling idiot and speak next? I've got no idea about this one at all, I'm afraid. Uh, although I can put a link in the room. This is about the only contribution I can think of. Okay, let's move on then. Perry, please. Okay, that works for me too. Okay, number 12 is Space 1999. Dragon's Domain. What's it about? A crew member 
the moon with madness and PTSD over an encounter with an alien creature five years earlier, and he's convinced the invisible tentacle monster is back. Why it's scary? The fantasy magazine Black Gate proclaimed it to be the scariest hour of television ever broadcast. Betrayal of space madness, the fact that Helena won't believe Tony's story, sudden appearance of the tentacled creature all add up to intense scares. I remember watching Space Night Again, uh, I, I was a, um, a wee bairn, but you know, I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember being scared by it that much. Yeah, season one, episode 23, this was. Um, but, uh, I mean, we had funny creatures, but, I mean, um, they had a couple of psychological ones, eh, you know, where people were possessed. I don't remember Sorry, but, any episode standing out as being scary. No. Maybe maybe I was just uh, scared that UFO wasn't on anymore. <laughs> and that bugged me. Okay. Well, again, um, uh, people will need to sort of jump in with their contributions. Okay, number 11, Tales from the Crypt, The Ventriloquist Dummy. What's it about? Bobcat Goldweight uh, plays a young ventriloquist looking for a member, a mentor in Don Rickles' veteran. But he learns his, but then learns his secret. Why is it scary? First of all, it's got a stellar cast with uh, Goldweight and Rickles, who essentially do their regular acts, but as ventriloquists. Second, ventriloquist dummies are always freaky. Freaky. Uh, the third is uh, the reveal, which ta- uh, which takes what had been an episode showcasing some of the great comedians right into the scary, because Rickles, Mister Inglis, isn't a ventriloquist. He's got a vicious conjoined twin, possibly a magical one, uh, since it doesn't just ruin Rickles. It merges with and takes over the arm of Goldthwait too. Now again, I think I'm back to loving Twilight Zone with this. If you if you're looking for episodes with a um, ventriloquist dummy in it, we have some funny dummies in uh, one of the Dot Two episodes, and we had one in one of the Buffy episodes. So, anybody wants to tell a little bit about this one? Of course, Tales from the Crypt. One would expect it to be a frightening episode. I'm not even too sure. What do you think, Rick Wall? Do you think actually when you're having a list of 25 scariest TV and fantasy I episodes... I think so, should... and I think there should have been more, to be honest with you. <laughs> From the hor- Yeah, because I was saying, a horror genre, is, you expected them to be horrific. So, yeah. um, I like this episode. Uh, I, I, I like the Rickles in it. Um, um, you know, I liked uh, the uh, idea that you know she was actually a uh, a uh, t- conjoined twin. Um, there were quite a few episodes uh, um, where there were conjoined twins, and uh, there was one with um, an ice cream man, uh, which I found scarier. Uh, that was uh, you know. Like the front of him was a nice guy, and you know, um, uh, loved to 
to to serve uh, the kids the ice cream, and uh, his twin on the back was kind of deformed and nasty and stuff like that. And they ended up killing one twin, and then he, you know, the the good, uh, they killed the evil twin, and of course the good twin ends up dying too. Um, you know that kind of stuff, but um, I I liked it. I I you know I was a big fan of um, uh, Tales from the Crypt anyway. So okay. Uh, what what do other people think? Do they think that um, horror genre should be in here? Because we're really most of these episodes are exceptions to the rule in their normal form, aren't they? Yeah, it, it's almost an entire list into itself. But also, I I don't even think about it sometimes. Uh, excuse me, one minute, Rick Walker, can you just mute, please? Thanks. I don't think about Sorry. sometimes as the horrific attitude of Tales of the Crypt because there's always the humor, there's always the, the morality tale and sometimes the shock ending because it's emulating the original comic book. And I always, always the satirical sense of it, I always found the EC horror as not being so much horrific, but kind of tongue-in-cheek fun because of the, the, vault, the vault keeper and the crypt keeper and all of that. And... Um, that whole sense of art. So there was there was always um, kind of the tongue in cheek with the comic and the series. I think uh, the use not of exactly the uh, the comic itself was more straightforward. The uh, well, I know no, I, the I've TV read all, show I've read was all of more them. comic. They're straightforward, but they're, they're also it's kind of like always the revenge of. You know the the jilted uh, wife. You know finding revenge on the. It's like the monkey's paw with a bit of humor. You know, I mean that's that's what Stephen King emulated when he did Creepshow. You know, he was doing a and a his little, you know, love affair with the EC Comics. That's true. You know. But I mean, it's just and a, Dave, I don't know why you got something from me. I was getting an echo too. I, I was just sorry. I was just, uh, I was just going on the fact that your name was lighting up when you weren't speaking. A Rick? Yes. Um, maybe it's also in the sense that when I look at either Feldstein or I look at Jack Davis's art. That also gets, you know, not so much Wally Wood, but their art always makes me think of Mad Magazine a lot. And I guess a little, a little. And I guess personally, my my favorite, just I mean, not to get off the subject too much, but my my favorite EC isn't the horror; it's Two Fisted Tales, and. you know all, all of those, the war stories and 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 the science fiction adaptations. You know, I I, I guess I was I'm more into like I think uh, enjoyment of Al Williamson and Wally Wood 
for their Oh, yeah. I, lo- I love um, um, wood stuff, especially your science fiction stuff. Yeah. But um, let's move on yeah. now, I guess. I won't be here all day talking about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jeff, are you okay to read the next one out for us? Number 10, I, I think, had, is it? I had, I had a feeling you were going to ask me to do this one. Oh. Um, <laughs> The next one, number 10, is The Walking Dead, the episode Days Gone By. What it's about, the very first episode of the series, it created a level of terror that the rest of the series is able to match. As Sheriff Rick Grimes wakes from a coma into the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Why is it scary? What the show does is let the mystery and terror of the zombie apocalypse, having trouble with that word, slowly build up as Rick wakes in an empty hospital, slowly dis- slowly discovers the pools of blood, the mysterious don't open dead inside sign on a door, then reaching outside to discover there's absolutely no one there. All of this is done without a word of dialogue, and Andrew Lincoln conveys Rick's ever-growing sense of confusion and horror perfectly. For purpose suspense, The Walking Dead has never been better than its pilot. And the reason I thought you were going to ask me to do this is because I've never watched the series, so I have no clue. <laughs> no, I must admit, I haven't uh, watched it. Um, so, uh, anyone, I mean, uh, I know Darth mentioned he didn't feel as though it was classed or should be on the list. Um, does anybody uh, I, remember this? I Yes, I, lo- I love the series from day one. Um it's hard to settle out one episode, which almost makes it unfair. But I think the true horror of the series is not because it's about zombies, but that we find out, and it's not really a spoiler, by the end of the first season, everyone in this universe will become a zombie. If a zombie bites you, you become a zombie. If you die of pneumonia, you become a zombie. So you have to deal with the moral concept. How do you deal in a world where your son is going to have to take uh, take you out one day because you're inevitably going to die? You're going to have to do that to a family member the way people in our world normally will you know, bury a family member. And so there's that moral quandary. There's also how do you hold on to your humanity in this insane world. And that's the horror of the series. And we were mentioning the latest episode. There are defining moments in the series where they can they show whether they can totally lose their humanity or hold on to it. And it's always striving to hold on to their humanity. Or they see examples of people who have totally lost it. That's why it's a great series. That's what is truly horrifying about it. That's why it I that's why I think and the questions are asked, why is it maybe one of the highest, if not highest rated show on television? It's not just the zombie concept. That would get awful boring. Right. You know so that's probably what, they can't yeah, that's probably the conception I had of it. Oh no having what, not what watched they, it. actually what they've done to the series this season it's the most brilliant thing. They they had them all together. At mid-season, they're split up because of a crisis. 
an important character killed. And then because they've been split up, it's like reading a novel. There are about eight or nine key players in the series at the moment. Well, one episode would have Rick Grimes, the sheriff, ex-sheriff, and his son. They'd be in the episode. Then another episode would be a character, Daryl, who's split up with the daughter of uh, an important character. They have their story. Then this last week, they had someone else. And then by the end of the season in two episodes, they'll all probably be united. But they take the time to have these character beats. And I don't think I've ever seen that in any series. It, it's like in the original Star Trek, if they had an episode, Uhura's story, and they went into her background, and she's, she's, this, this show can take the time to break its own concept. Break your heart, because characters you fall in love with die in this series, and, and you get very angry, but then you, but then you go with it. I hate the comic book. I read it in the beginning. I bought the trade paperback. I cannot stand it. I think it's cruel. And the violence I find obscene for some reason. But the same writer, the same, not the same showrunner, but the same creator works on the series. And there's subtleties and emotion. And it, and it, it affects me in different ways. So it's a it's an amazingly poetic, heart wrenching, terribly violent. I mean that that is you have to go with it with it. But it's it's a water water cooler type of show. That right. the, the next day you're just totally like freaking out about it. I'm going to leave it now because I know we're pressed with time. But I think we should maybe have a a show on it down the line. If not watching it, but just, you know, why is this show doing so well? And yet it's not garnishing awards at the Golden Globes or Emmy, which I find such a crime because the acting is amazing. That's why. That's why. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me, Rick, on this? That's why you come back. Yes, I would. And I vote for it quite often. Uh, Yes. Because this cast, this cast is like, yeah, you know. Uh, um, and unfortunately, it's that time Hellhound wants out. Yeah. So I am going to take my leave. I shall see you uh, Saturday, uh, Dave, and everybody else, uh, or actually some of you Friday, and the rest of you next week. Thank take you very much. Well, cheers. Bye, Rick. Okay. Uh, okay, anybody else want to comment on that? I, I will move as we're, we're just now entering, uh, well, we are in the top ten. Yeah, we will do that. I mean, uh, there are other suggestions. Perry, Perry G's mentioned about doing the House of Cards, which is something that we must get round to. And we've got other nominated shows. I'll. Uh, we haven't uh, finalised on next week's episode yet because I want to just check back with Ian, who I'll hopefully have his little chat with tonight when he's... Uh, got back from uh, Orlando um, but there we go um, 
let me move on to number nine, if I may, then. I'll read this one, and uh, uh, maybe Ken can do number eight afterwards. Um, uh, Stephen King's It, uh, what's about? This miniseries, because it was a film, but I assume the miniseries... Was the, first of all, was the miniseries a re-editing of the movie? Or was it a completely different beast? Well, perhaps we can find that out in a moment. Um, this miniseries focused on a monster that lives in the sewers of a small town, servicing to feed on the children of the neighbourhood, and the creature decides to take the shape of uh, Pennywise the Clown. Why is it scary? Stephen King, a monster that feeds on fear and children. Bullies. Tim Curry in uh, clown makeup. It is the perfect storm of horror. And we all know there's nothing scarier than a clown with razor-sharp teeth. And looking at that picture, I'm thinking The Simpsons for some reason. But there you go. Can't sleep. Clown's going to eat me. Can't sleep. Clown's going to eat me. So, yeah, uh, it is a film. Presumably it was... It was, was it redone or just recut for the TV? It, it was only on TV, as I, I can remember. It was a miniseries. Maybe. Oh, right. Well, yeah, it says on the wiki page, IT 1990 film, but then, as you say, it says uh, 1990 horror drama mirror series. Maybe I mean, it was re-edited into a film format and released in the UK that way. Perhaps on DVD, then. We have for DVD that they had two different versions. Okay. See, this this is the whole thing too. They're now taking like a miniseries as an example of horror. You, you there, there's Salem's Lot. Stephen King was pretty horrific, and and other ones. So they're not just saying a an out of the ordinary episode of a series that dealt with horror. Then with Walking Dead, they do an entire series. And now this is a mini-series adaptation of a book. So this list goes all over the way with rules. Okay. Anybody want to make mention of it before we, we move on? Because um steps out a little bit, I think, that one. Clowns are scary. Okay. Number eight, then, please, Ken. Okay. Supernatural. The kids are all right. What's it about? Dean visits an old flame and discovers that all the children in a small town have been replaced by evil changelings, with the real children hidden in a scary basement. Why it's scary? The episode hooks your emotions by teasing you with the possibility that Dean might be a father while also forcing you to confront the primal fear of your child being kidnapped and replaced with a monster. Okay, do you know anything about this one? I put the uh, the supernaturalwiki.com page up. No, I don't. Uh, I mean... I- I understand what Rick Wall said, but I, I, I honestly feel as though horror ones shouldn't be actually included here if the aim of the series is to be horror. To me, these are sort of the Halloween specials and the one-offs. You could argue, should there have been a Simpsons one in here? I don't know. 
Should Buffy be here? Oh, absolutely. Should be a couple of Buffy's in here. Right, no, but if if and the main, a couple, the main entirety of Buffy is... Oh, right, ah, right, right. Ah, sorry, yeah, I'm being hoist, hoist, hoisted by my own petard there, aren't I? Yeah. No, but that's a good, no, but that's a good question, because if yeah. you could say best episodes of Buffy or most horrific episodes of Buffy, but... Yeah, it'd be more interesting to have, you know... Um, scariest episodes of shows you know, that that aren't meant to be scary all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Uh, if nobody wants to comment on this one, I'm quite happy if Jeff is to move on to Firefly one. And I think he's got a clip for it as well. Yes, I do. Uh, so this one's Firefly, uh, number seven on the list. The episode Bushwhacked. What it's about, the crew of the Serenity encounters a ghost ship which has been attacked by Reavers, and it turns out one of the survivors is becoming a Reaver himself. Why is it scary? The handheld camera work turns in some stylish horror moments, but the real fear at the heart of this episode is the dread of being swallowed up by a savagery that is beyond the comprehension of civilized people. The episode underscores this with a running dialogue about the nature of civilization and the madness that that is its opposite, with the Serenity crew smack dab in the middle. And I do have a clip from this, which I'll play right now, if you want me to, Dave. Please, please indeed. I don't accept that. Whatever horror he witnessed, whatever acts of barbarism, it was done by men. Nothing more. Reavers ain't men. Of course they are. Too long removed from civilization, perhaps. But men. And I believe there's a power greater than men. A power that heals. Reavers might take issue with that philosophy. If they had a philosophy. And they weren't too busy gnawing on your insides. Gene's right. Reavers ain't men. They forgot how to be. They're just nothing. They got out to the edge of the galaxy, to that place of nothing, and that's what they became. And there we are. Uh, yeah. I must admit that, uh, just on the side there, Nathan Fillion there, uh, he was really scary as the... Uh, well, he was playing a preacher in uh, in Buffy. He was really Ooh, scary in uh <laughs> And so was um, uh, talking... You were talking about Gina the Torres. lovely lady... Yeah. Who played Jasmine, wasn't it? Um, in Angel, she was scary. Uh, of course, out of Firefly. That's so Firefly. I think we've got a few now. Again, this was the series that was really um, mishandled, wasn't it? With the with the episodes out of order and this, that, and the other. But um, there were some quite scary ones, and I'm I'm having an issue trying to remember this one. I, I do remember the one where they're actually flying through space with them, um, you know, bodies strapped to the front of the uh, the ship to try and get through the barricade of the 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 Reavers ship. But I'm not too sure whether that's the same episode. It's where they go to this planet and discover the origin of these Reavers. That, that, that was, was the movie. Movie. That was yeah. Serenity. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, thank you. All of a first mistake. Well, perhaps the same. <laughs> Perry, do you want to talk about this one then? Cool. Uh, 
Um, you know, you I can't your... remember the details of this episode, but I, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, go. But I, I do, I do remember the general, you know, sense of this episode, and uh, and, and I think it, I think it really is a good, scary episode of, um, you know, not knowing what what this this um, this survivor, you know, whether or not. You know, not knowing what's happening to him, not knowing about the Reavers. I think having the Reavers be this kind of mystery uh, is a it was an element of the the horror in this episode. You know, in a sense, in the movie, it was nice to find out you know what the Reavers were all about, but they were truly scary um, before you understood it. I think. I think they did a really good job with the Reavers uh, in the series when it was broadcast. I think that's what I'll say. Anyone else? Well, there's another episode from Firefly that I thought was scarier than this one, and that's Objects in Space, where oh yeah, that's the bounty one. hunter. That one I remember. On, yeah, the the bounty hunter comes on the ship and uh, traps almost everyone in their compartments or in the engineering section, and uh, River. Uh, is playing a game with him, basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing a bit of an echo. I don't know where it's coming from, but... That one was just psychologically right. more scary than this one, I thought, because you you, you have this man that uh, uh, basically comes on the ship and, and traps everyone, and he's also... Um, uh, terrorizing, basically, Kaylee... just telling her what he's going to do to her if she doesn't cooperate and that sort of thing. So just very, very scary. And it was dark throughout that episode. Right. Okay, Ken, any comments on this one? Uh, we move on. Have we lost Ken? No, oh, I'm here. Hello? I blanked out for a moment. You're breaking up, I think. I can hear him. Are Dave, we all breaking you, up? Dave, can you hear me? I think we're all breaking up. I can, I can, can you hear, hear me now? Ken and Jeff, very well. Can you hear me? I can we're hear you. We're all breaking up. Okay. My phone was... I think Dave yeah, is having some de- technical difficulties. Yeah, we're all breaking up. No, no, we're we're not breaking up. Yeah, we're not. If anybody's breaking up, it's just breaking up is hard to do. Am I breaking up? You sound fine. Okay. Everybody on this side of the Atlantic is fine. Okay, uh, Jeff, can you can you lead on the next one then? Sure. Um, let me get back to the list here. The next episode on this list is uh, the number number six is the Twilight Zone Living Doll. What it's about: a stepfather disapproves of his wife buying a talky Tina doll for his stepdaughter, and then the doll starts talking to him with its taunts escalating to threats of murder. Uh, 
why it's scary, dolls, man. There's just something incredibly creepy about dolls, and this episode capitalizes on that raw fear brilliantly. Uh, I know when they have uh, marathons on the Sci-Fi Channel, uh, the Twilight Zone. This is one I always look forward to. It, it, it is very creepy uh, watching this doll taunt this man, and all he wants to do is destroy the doll, get rid of it, and he can't seem to do it. Um, Ken, do, do you want to say anything about this episode? It, it's it's great. Uh, it's a weird dolls. Are, I don't think dolls are inherently creepy, but it's like man versus doll, and Savalas is just so in your face in this episode. It becomes a real a real joy. See, I think clowns are always scary, except I think for Red Skelton. Red Skelton becoming a clown is a nice thing. But every other clown, I think, is kind of scary. This is this is like Bad Doll. This is like Precursor of Chucky. And um, it, it, it's really played to the hilt. Um, it's one I always look forward to, too. And, uh, oof. Your parents, they would be freaking out uh, right before Christmas time when their children probably would say, oh, I want a doll like that, Mommy and Daddy. <laughs> I, and I think they've, they've, they've made these. I think, I think they've come up with some um, like the the little uh, fortune-telling devil machine at the table with Shatner episode, and I think they were talking Tina. You know, they've, they've come out with these things. You know, heaven help us. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Would you put it this high on the list? Would you put uh, other no, episodes no. higher? Um, I think there are Twilight Zones that are, that are scarier in my book. I mean... Um, the Howling Man. Uh, I think uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. It's Which just, isn't on this list at all. Yeah, it's so primal. I I don't know if it, it's scary in the sense of just regular ooh, spookiness, but uh, The Obsolete Man, just what it says on society and the way that's filmed, I'd have that as a... As a Good example of kind of frightening TV. Oh, you're going a little let bit me, hollow on us. Oh, man. Uh, are you hearing me pr- better yet? Uh, we never lost you, Dave. Yeah. I think you lost us. Oh, am, right. I, am I sounding okay uh, now? Yeah, you're fine, Ken. Okay. Uh, I was just going to add to the, what Ken was saying. There was one episode in Twilight Zone where a person was saving the waxworks dummies. They were going to close the waxwork place down. Yeah. And he had, uh, I don't know, Jack the, the Ripper and all these others. And um, uh, the the thing was whether these were actually waxwork models or whether they were the uh, the actual people vitrified, a little bit like Carry On Screaming, um, mm. are indeed uh, the Crimson Ara. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, again, we can go back to the whole thing on Twilight Zone. I think Masks is a more frightening episode. Masks is really mm. scary. Yeah. Um, and I think it's I think it's the other one. If I'm if I'm not getting it wrong, I I think it's 
with Lee Marvin. The one where it's like, go visit the grave, the man who died. Oh, yes. Um, uh, the parade or something, is it? It's, um... Yeah. But, yeah, we've just. Uh, I think this. Don't... I didn't think this one works out because this is like Savalas. As much as I like him as Kojak, his pre-Kojak acting was really primal and good. And I mean, I love his Blofeld and Human uh, Dirty Dozen and everything. I mean, Savalas was just wonderful. Yeah, we've just done the uh, the one Steel, which had Lee Marvin in, but that was his second one. He was he yeah. was definitely in the in the one you said. It's a um, one where they were going to this graveside one. But yeah, that, that that's living. I don't think it should be that high. This one, and there are no. there are definitely others that should be above it. Okay, is there anybody who wanted to have a say had a say? Um, we've we've got. Um, five more to do and let's maybe finish at the top of the hour so that gives us about 20 minutes if that's fine with everybody obviously if you have a lot to say on any so let me um, go to number five Twin Peaks Beyond Life and Death Uh, what's it about? Special Agent Dale Cooper Uh, heads back into the Black Lodge in search of kidnapping kidnapped Annie but inside he finds Bob oh we're back to Bob again the evil spirit with a penchant for disguise Uh, a scene straight out of his own nightmares complete with evil doppelgangers of Annie his murdered wife and himself why is it scary? doppelgangers Uh, prophetic dreams eerie birds and the Black Lodge but what's really, uh, what it's really all about is Dale Cooper's, or is it his doppelganger's, maniacal grin as he bangs his face against the mirror in the closing scene. <laughs> oh no, that's my evil twin, sorry. Scary. I'm scared. He keeps scaring me. He wasn't that scary. I know. <laughs> Oh, that's oh, that's better. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. No, it's true. <laughs> Twin Creeks. Well, we mentioned it again. Uh, it was in the it's quite a few that uh, are drawn from the same uh, yeah, series here, aren't we? More of the same, just really good weirdness. Very disturbing. David Lynch visuals, and very unique uh, series. Um. Kind of repetitive in what what we would say. I mean, it's nothing. It's like it's one of the better episodes of of a really interesting series, and it does it well. But it's okay. it's, it's like the whole the whole entire series is very disturbing. Yeah. All right, uh, and to those we've we've got quite a number of people listening in and not on audio. If they have any. Comment if we feel as though we're we're skipping over one of their favourites, please try and put something in text, and we'll we'll certainly read it out. Um, Ken, would you like to? Can you read another one for us? Yes, I can. My pleasure. The Outer Limits, the Zanti Misfits. What's it about? Aliens from the planet Zanti, basically ants with human heads, arrive on Earth 
and demand to turn a small town into a penal colony for their criminals and undesirables. But when two humans randomly stumble into the town, the Xanti turn out to have a different agenda. Why it's scary. The stop-motion alien creatures are just horrifying. And the idea of Earth becoming a penal colony for alien criminals is nightmare-inducing. And uh, again, I'm having a little bit of a a problem. Oh, it's all the way back to Season 1, Episode 14, so it's some time since I saw that one, I must admit. Um, the 1997, the TV Guide ranked this episode number 98 out of its 100 greatest episode of all time list, but not necessarily frightening list. Um, I've not really got a lot to say about it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Rick Wall, uh, the other... Twilight Zone fan has uh, had to drop off, as you heard a little bit earlier. Okay, I think we'll have to move on with time no, I, pressure. I, I, I want to say oh. something about it. Yeah. Oh, well, please oh, do. Scary. Oh, if, if you have a lot to Amazing. Say. Well, I don't want to get a lot, but just... You see this episode, you will just... It'll, it'll, it'll give you the shakes. Uh the stop motion ants—they almost have—they have goatees. They're, that there's a slight humor to that, but if you mix it to the terrible screeching sound they make, especially when they get smashed, it is very frightening. The whole concept uh, is really amazing of it. It's—it's it's a bunch of people being invaded. Uh, you have them like crawling on the walls. On window pane outside, Susie and silhouettes, just like hundreds of these things. And of course, they'll have the obligatory crawling up someone's back and someone hitting it and make this terrible kind of high pitched whining sound as, as it dies on the floor in front of you. It's kind of like, ugh. But um, these, the, the picture they show here it gets the example of of how they look with these kind of semi-human faces looking up at people. And it's, 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 oh, it's, it's a great episode. Outer Limits was a wonderful series, only uh, lasted a season and a half. And this is one of the best. Uh, I, re- I really recommend anybody catching this. Um, it, it's maybe not the best Outer Limits episode, but it's a good example of something that'll just scare the bejesus out of you. And it does. Right. I've, I've never forgotten this all, all these years. And like, oh, yeah. Well, side Bob was put, uh, I didn't think the Xantis were that frightening, although I agree with the idea is very frightening. And looking at that, they don't look as frightening to me as uh, I remember the the creatures in uh, Quatermass and the Pit uh, when they opened up um, this... Uh, what the story of that is, they're doing an archaeological dig and there's this 10,000-year-old skull and then they dig a bit lower and below that is a spaceship. So they know the spaceship's been there longer archaeologically and then they unseal this end compartment and there are these sort of locust-like, bat-like creatures uh, and they were extremely frightening. No, you mean the serial or the hammer film? 
the TV one, I think it was the TV okay, series. Okay, because they also did... Um, they did the movie, Quatermass in the Pit, with Andrew Kerr. Right. Yeah, which was what I always saw. And I love I loved the way that's done. Okay. Can I move us on? Please. Um... Uh, Jeff, do you want to do this one? And uh, I've got a clip because okay. I want to read Buffet next. You see. All right. Uh, number three is Doctor Who's Blink. What it's about? This episode, which barely features the titular Doctor and his companion Martha, introduces the Weeping Angels, statues which can only move when you're not looking. Writer Stephen Moffat uses the quirks of time travel to heighten the sense of weirdness and suspense. Why? It's scary. It's the combination of the statues with their covered faces slowly uncovering and the Doctor's cryptic warnings from a DVD player which slowly become clearer and scarier. And the fear of what you can't see. Moffat's saga about children in gas gas masks from season one, The Empty Child, is also super scary, but he's never topped this. Okay. Now, the the clip I've got I don't think it's too uh, scary a part, but we'll hear it. 1969, that's where you're talking from. Right, so? But you're replying to me. You can't know exactly what I'm going to say 40 years before I say it. 38. I'm getting this down. I'm writing in your bits. How? How is this possible? Tell me. Not so fast. Yeah, people can understand time. It's not what you think it is. Then what is it? Complicated. Tell me. Very complicated. I'm clever and I'm listening. And don't patronise me because people have died and I'm not happy. Tell me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Yeah, I've seen this bit before. You said that sentence got away from you. It got away from me, yeah. Next thing you're going to say is, well, I can hear you. Well, I can't hear you. This is impossible. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, um, in the actual opening clip of the, today's show, uh, there was the more scary bit where they're trying to not blink in front of the angel in the old house. Um, but I think uh, excellent. Um, I don't know. Yes, uh, I suppose it should be in the top uh, top five or so. Maybe. I don't know. Whether it, certainly perhaps three is probably a good position for it. But uh, really, and and for my money, the best appearance of the Weeping Angels, um, I don't know whether more exposure to them has, has made them less frightening or, what, or whether it was just the concepts uh, or whether it was just the way they were so brilliantly realised. Uh, I don't think any of us watching it realised they were mime actress, actresses inside those costumes when they first did. Uh, they were just absolutely brilliant. Uh you know, you almost were convinced you saw them move, but of course you never did. And the the way it was edited and cut through made it uh, really good indeed. Uh, either of you guys, are, uh, I'm assuming Darth will jump in when he's available to do so, but uh, Jeff or Ken? Brilliant. Uh, the first taste we had of Moffat's fear of the unknown in the shadow uh, of a creature that you can't really uh, help but be destroyed by, but you have to do everything you can to get away from it. Um, 
you're right. It, it's never been as effective. I, I think also the story construction later on in the episodes didn't use them to the best ability like this one did. This this had that kind of gothic haunted house feel, you know, that, that something mysterious is out there to get you. And, and you don't know what to do to get out of it. And this mysterious stranger with this with these videotapes are helping you find the clues to save your own life. And we see the examples of, you know, Sally's friend and and that gentleman that had affection for her, you know, the, the fates they had. So we have the, this underlying emotional subtext about what's going to happen to her if she doesn't get out of it. So I think it's the twin thing of, of the character of Sally Sparrow and and the use of the weeping angels here. But the, the mood and the texture and the the whole conception of, of the episode from and from beginning to end um with even even the clip of uh you know the tenth doctor explaining in the audio about what what it'll do to you at at the very end and as they're showing all the statues it's it would almost be better if we never saw the weeping angels again. they were so perfectly used um mm. you know because it was it it was like how can you top it how can you how can you top it um by by using them in a different way, you'll you expand the fam- the familiarity of it, but you t- you take away the special quality they have. Of of course you're going to use them, but there was just something so primal and pure about um, how this was done. Um, there's a reason it's it's so loved in the classic, and it's not just that it that it terrifies. There there's that. Just, just the ending is so overwhelming that they're not going to get out of it, and then you have such a feeling of joy when when you have you know the the name of their bookshop, and then finally you know uh, coming seeing the doctor and Martha there at the end, you feel this kind of Russian sensation of joy because she did save herself. You're just kind of overcome with it. So I mean, it's you know it's, it's so good. So good. Okay. There's always been there's always been something that bothered me about this episode. I mean, it, it's very well written, uh, very well acted, um, directed. Uh, the it looks great on on the screen. Um, and and it just came to me. I I couldn't put my finger on what bothered me about this episode till right now, and that is. We see too early what happens to somebody that does get touched by a weeping angel. And, yeah, you get sent back in time, you lose your life per se, but you're you're just sent backward in time. You really haven't died. So oh, it, it's just too early we see that, you know, uh, that that you are sent back in time, that you don't die, and it loses a little bit of the fear factor, in my opinion, in that way. Um, 
But again, uh, everything else about the episode was great, and uh, I, I just feel that uh, they shouldn't have revealed that as early as they did in the in the episode. Um, and that's why I I think uh, it, this is overrated by by fans. Again, it it should be one of the better episodes, but it's not. A lot of people think it's one of the best episodes or not that the best episode of Doctor Who, and I don't think it should be at that point. Uh, I put Midnight as a scarier episode than this. Oh, it is. I I don't know if it's the best episode of Doctor Who ever, but I have heard it called the most accessible episode of Doctor Who for for people who aren't Doctor Who fans. And I think that's why it's... You know that's why it's held in such high regard. I think. I mean, when people ask other people what episode of Doctor Who should I show my friend who's never seen it, and Blink is the one that usually comes up. Now I will say this about this: there was one point in the episode that I just found frightening, completely frightening, and that's at the end, the very end of the story, where they're shooting, uh, they're they're uh, uh, having flashes of different statues that are just yeah. everywhere around you uh, up on the screen. And that, to me, was frightening. Oh, is that a weeping angel or isn't it? Right. I'm not, I'm not too sure in that sense, because that, I mean, I, that was great, a great thing to, to just get the kids sort of, you know, worried, I suppose, because that's what he does, doesn't he? He makes no ordinary things frightening. But in some ways, uh, the the next uh, storyline with the angels, you know, the uh, uh, the crash scene of the uh, thing, they're looking at the statues and they're trying to discern which statues are angels and which aren't. And, um, well, it's a chat with wings, isn't it? Five rounds rapid. I mean, it's got wings, it's an angel. Of course, then there's a reveal that um, the people that lived on that planet had two heads, which rather made them go, oops, made a mistake there. Um, but I still feel as though, um, yeah, the the first appearance of the angels was their best uh, so far appearance. Okay, yeah, uh, I'm hoping... I would I would agree with that, Dave. I would agree with that. Okay, uh, I want somebody to stop me if my audio breaks up. Uh, but I'm going to read uh, Buffy uh, number two, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hush. What's it all about? Everybody in Sunnydale loses his or her voice uh, in a nearly silent episode uh, as the creepy, gliding gentleman begins to stalk the town. Why it's scary? Uh, Like a lot of other episodes at the top of this list, uh, it's the combination of super creepy imagery, the gentleman's uh, sepulchral faces and gliding motion with primal fear, not being able to speak, let alone scream. Now, I didn't actually, uh, for those people who joined us after the start, I did. I have had issues, although I'm being told that my audio is coming through fine, and I did have a power cut earlier today. Um, I haven't got a clip of this because there wouldn't be any talking in it, really, uh, because nobody talks in it, which was one of the great things that um, uh, the director did with uh, Buffy, because we had the, the singing episode, didn't we? Some people might think I got the mustard out was more scary, but um, 
uh, it was uh, great that uh, they had this episode. Uh, and there's always a touch of humour in there. There's always somebody, yeah, every cloud has a silver lining. Somebody made a fortune selling slate boards <laughs> to write things on. Uh, Ken, you're a fan of Hush? Oh, yes. Um, the kind of groundbreaking that they did the episode almost um, as a silent episode. That that was really striking of Whedon to do that. But the use of the gentleman, uh, the fear of everyone, just they tapped into something uh, really iconic, and and, uh, and and the really definitive use of dread. I I don't know what it is about it. Kind of goes back, almost looking like um, evil Jacob Marley's from out of a Christmas Carol. There's something floating by, but it, it had that wonderful gothic feel in a very modern series, and, and it was and it was just a great, great mix. And Reminded me of Dark City. If you've seen that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark Dark City was after, I think, but. I mean, Dark Dark City, who people wrongly will compare to Matrix because they have people in leather, or Hellraiser because they have it's 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 its own thing. It's a brilliant film. But but you're right. There there was that similarity in feeling uh, toward the way they floated around and the attitude. But I also had the feeling of of Nosferatu a bit. Mm. And it's just something he tapped in on. There, There's a lot of things that are called horror, but very few things in film, I think, that really, personally, that scare me. Yeah. Um, Alien always gets me because of the use of the creature and also the, the fear the people are going from. And also, I like John Hurt so much. Um, Midnight will stand out to me as something that is just... It, it scares me. It scares me what happens to the doctor, but it scares me the way the people react, the way they do the voice thinking, and just the imagery of the gentleman in this. And this whole town in this fear uh, uh, of this, you know, Joss Whedon tapped and tapped into it. Right. Uh, I just checked the Dark City came out in 1998. Uh, the Buffy one was um, 1999. But I, d- I don't think there's a, a copy there. There's just a, some sort of similarity. No, it, 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 it was just that a lot of times great minds think alike. You know, and and they'll have something that comes from maybe a some primal source, but just you know, I you know they they made toys of these things too, which are really scary. Yeah, right. You want those standing on your bookshelf, you know, staring at you. But it it it's kind of like the you know evil evil morticians from hell. 
you know, that are floating by. Yeah, very fairy tale. I mean, it was. Um, you can understand where Moffat gets this idea that he needs to bring fairy tales into Doctor Who, although yeah. I don't particularly want him to do that. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, uh, those listening, uh, we were going to do a, a Cultman uh, episode on Buffy, but um, we had uh, the turnout the week we were going to do it weren't people that were that familiar with it, but I will try again and cover it, uh, Buffy and Angel. I don't think we can cover them all in one in one episode, but we must try and get back to it, I think, at some point. Uh, anyone else? Um, Perry or Jeff? No, I'm not really oh, familiar with the series, so... Okay. No, me neither. Okay, well, um, Perry, would you like the honour of uh, reading the last one out for us, X-Files? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so number one on this list is the X-Files, the episode Home. What it's about when, when the body of a deformed baby is found in Home, Pennsylvania, Mulder and Scully investigate how the four Peacock brothers were able to produce an inbred child without anyone seeing a woman living with them. Why it's scary... This is the first ever X-Files episode to get a viewer discretion warning and was the only episode Fox refused to air in repeats. I don't think that's a good reason why it's scary. Anyway, the initial mystery heads straight for the horror with a baby being buried alive and then Mulder and Scully initially believe the inbred Peacock brothers must have kidnapped and raped a woman and then murdered their child. But no, in fact, it's their quadruple amputee mother kept under the bed who is also the mother of their children. Once seen, the episode will never leave you. <laughs> I don't think that description will leave me. And uh, Tim, who uh, is in the uh, the chat room, uh, thank you. Put creepiest sci-fi episode ever. Sounds it from that description. Uh, I'm almost glad I didn't see it, because I'm not really that much of a big fan of horror. Uh, have we got anyone on the audio remembers seeing it. Uh, season 4, episode 2. October 1996. A very dark episode. Very creepy. Um, the double amputee woman been trapped under you know, the bed. Uh, the, the house was very dark. It was just a just very disturbing episode. And probably deserves to be, if not at the very top, very close to the top of this list. Right. And Tim also puts one of my favourite episodes of the show. So it obviously, you know, hit the mark. Um, and it sounds as though we've got somebody who uh, knows their X-Files. Um, uh, again, just let me remind people, we haven't got Ian in the room. I'm not too sure how keen a fan of X-Files Ian is. And... Um, and also, we have had a couple of people that have had to drop off audio. So, as always, we do say that the it's the viewing experience of those people that are here and on audio that gets reflected in our reviews. So, don't feel as though can't believe they can't say more about that particular episode. Um, it's just uh, what we've got, and we do cover an enormous range of programming here on the Cotton Collective Podcast. So, um. Why I, the, I haven't seen the episode, and I'm put off my match just by hearing the description. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so indeed. 
what I'm just going to say then, uh, unless anybody recollects something else that they want to say, or somebody else in the chat room puts something in text, a um, couple of programs I would mention, and I've not had a chance to sort of look up the actual particular episode themselves, but if you've um, watched Luther, the detective uh, series, there's a couple of episodes in that are really quite horrific. There's, uh, there's, um, there's one where a chap... Uh, I won't say any more than a chap at the moment because that might be too spoilerish. Um, but he has um, uh, dice, gaming dice, and um, he throws his dice, and then according to what the dice tell him, he picks a weapon and then attacks somebody, maybe with a hammer uh, or, or whatever. And Luther has to track down this particular uh, murder. And another series I'll mention is uh, Jekyll which although um, uh, is, uh, uh, James Nesbitt starred in that. Uh, Luther, by the way, was Edris Elba. But uh, in um, Jekyll, um, there's some quite disturbing scenes in that. Uh, you think it's going rather nicely, but there's some quite, you know, it turns on a, on, on a dime, as you would say, in terms of the, the, the thing. So I'm going to ask uh, the the guys on the audio, um, assuming Darth is listening with us in the background, but um, any any things that, I mean, obviously we've mentioned that there are quite a few uh, Twilight Zone episodes that could have been brought forward. Any any ones that come to mind, Ken, say first? Mm. You know, complete series that have been overlooked with one episode. Well, it's maybe perhaps too new, but I, I would say there's several episodes the horrific quality of, of the new series Hannibal would would definitely right. be there um, it's one of the most graphically horrendous yet intelligent and literate series I've ever seen um, but again I can't believe they're getting away with what they're doing on NBC at uh, 10 o'clock on Friday night. Um, this is something that would like strictly be at cable. Um, episodes of American Horror Story. Um, this last um, series, Coven, there are several episodes. I wouldn't have the title, but I would, I would rank there as good examples of of the genre of horror and um, I haven't seen previous series of it but I, I'm, I'm sure they do have, have frequent ones um, others that are on I'll go to someone else while ponder. okay Jeff I'm having trouble coming up with anything else Okay. Other than, uh, other well, than you know, the Twilight Zone episodes that you mentioned probably should be on here that aren't. What about the Gan- Gandolfini actors? His series, the about the mob. Were, were any of those ha- had any intense scenes in them? What intense? Um, but I don't know if any episode would rank separately in The Sopranos to be example of horror. You you could say the Breaking Bad, 
the the one crawl space. Ah, of course, yeah. That, that kind of, and I, I'm forgetting the episode title, but I would like the second or third title when the bathtub doesn't work. Oh, yes. That was terrifying. Um, and I would say just the intensity of some of the episodes about what is happening to Walter and and uh, I would say that episode Ozymandias is a horrifying episode. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Good catch there. Yeah, the one with the bath and the... Yeah. And then the, like the endings there. Um... Oh, um, box cutter episode. Right. Well, that was uh, episode one of season four. Yeah. That that I would mark that as being a good example of horror, psychological and physical. Yeah, uh, Walt and Jess cleaned up the laboratory from the blood of Gus's henchman, Victor. Wow, well, yeah. Okay, uh, Perry, any any omissions to your mind? Um, well, I don't know if they're as scary as these things, but there may be some episodes of um, Grimm or um, Sleepy Hollow. That are that are horror type episodes. All right, Turbo Boss uh, Boost has put in text. I was found Star Trek Next Generation episode schisms to be creepy. Uh, is that is that is that the one where Bartley turns into? Uh, are where they all? Is it the one where they all retrogress or whatever it is into different creatures? No, I think that's the one where Riker thinks he's in prison. Ah. Right. Oh, yeah, that is... I I think that's the one. And then there's a Voyager episode, isn't there, where they're all walking around with headaches and things, and the the captain's got, you know, the, the, the probe in a brain, these people they can't see. Schisms is the one no. where they, they yeah, can't sleep. Yeah. That's uh, right. Uh, well, to be... To be specific about it, they can't. Oh, okay, no, that's not it. They, yeah, they they, they can take. sleep, but but they they're abducted while they're in they're right. sleeping. Yeah, and then experimented upon or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of course, there's the one that makes that makes me think of the one where Picard is is tortured. You know, there are yeah four lights or whatever he says. With with that uh, actor that we don't speak of around here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Cobo. That Warner man. <laughs> he was great in that. Was was he in Twilight? <laughs> um, maybe just once, maybe twice. <laughs> yeah, the schisms, uh, season six, episode five. Okay, well, let me look at the time. We're actually just coming up not far short of the three-hour mark. Um, so I think we'll take that as a point to uh, wrap up guys if if i may um you we've done a sterling job here i hope for our listeners 
um, with the with the people on audio. So let me uh, thank everybody for contributing, especially uh, those on audio: uh, Jeff, Mike, Ken, Perry, Darth, uh, and prior to that, uh, uh, we had uh, Mike and Rick Wall, and. Uh, I think that's all we had on audio. Thank you to those people. And I'm going to say, uh, let me find my uh, outro. Uh, as I say, we're going to um, uh, debate, or I'm going to debate with Ian just to find out whether he's going to be back with us soon. Uh, oh, have you got something just to add there before we run out, uh, Jeff? Oh, the episode I was thinking of from Next Generation where Riker is in the alien prison and he also thinks he's losing his mind that's called Frame of Mind. It's also a series or season six episode. Okay. Well, with that, uh, thank you everybody on the call. Uh, thank you very much for your contribution. Uh, thank you, Darth, as well, who's uh, I think listening is uh, got work-related stuff. And everybody, and uh, as I say, we'll be back next week. And uh, thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. Say ta-ta. Bye, all. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.